Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Wednesday morning. They call it Hump Day for a reason. But no football this weekend. No football. I think America gets really bummed out when this weekend comes around. I mean, this weekend, you know you still have one game left, the Super Bowl. But, man, then after that, I think think you look at the numbers of the television ratings this year, 55, 60 million plus watching those championship games on Fox and CBS and all the, the, the ratings increase we've seen this year. People get bummed out, man. I'm already bummed out. I looked at my wife on Sunday. She's like, what's on TV? I was like, well, the conference championships. And I looked at her and I said, there's only three more football games. Yeah. I'm not ready for that. A lot of wives are probably ready for it. Oh, absolutely. And I don't mean to, you know, throw, just say that there aren't women that are football fans because, of course, there are a ton of their football fans, phenomenal football fans. But if you want to get something done around the house, <laughs> maybe this would be a good time. Yeah. Yeah, right before the Super Bowl, before everyone has their big parties and whatnot. No football on this weekend. It's probably a good time. Tom, are we going to cover the UFL? Because football's not technically over. I think football's over. What do you mean? We got a whole spring league to Well, cover. this is a big deal because they combined, right? Yeah. XFL and the USFL. Yeah. So maybe it'll be pretty good. Who knows? What's maybe that? we could be the number one UFL sports talk show oh, in the whole nation. Yeah, but the question would is, would to, anybody watch? It would be hard to, to conquer. That's Tom, the goal. Well, so would anybody watch if we talked about the what is it UFL? I think it's the UFL. Yeah, it is the United Football League. Tom, what's their end goal? Like, like I, I don't under like they keep for now six seven years they've tried to pop up these spring leagues every single spring a new spring league. Ah, oh, it's the USFL. Ah, uh, it folded. Two years later, we're starting up the USFL again. Two, folds. Two years later, I announced the UFL. What's their end goal here? Well, like, I mean, I number one, it. they're getting TV contracts. So that means they're getting some money. It may not be a lot of money. I mean, I think some of those places are in some cities where they don't have the NFL. And all of a sudden, people can come in there and it's something to do in the spring, right? Sure. Maybe they have a minor league baseball team or maybe a, maybe a major league baseball team. They do in some of these cities. And for the guys, it keeps their dreams alive. You know, their, their, their yeah. college careers are over. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's basically minor league baseball on steroids. And when I say steroids, they're getting a national television contract. Nobody's yeah. paying a lot of money to watch minor league baseball games on television. So, right? 100%. And, and I mean, I'd be curious to know how many guys played in the XFL or whatever it was the last couple of years that have wound up on NFL rosters. Did you see, I, I got to pull up the coaches, but out of the eight UFL teams, four of the teams are in cities that already have NFL okay. teams. All right, so you know there's football fans. Right. Um, I think, like, they, they tried to get big-time coaches. Yep. For, for all of these teams. I'm trying to pull up the, the eight Well, they had Bob Stoops on one of them last Bob, year. One Bob of these... Stoops is, is going to be a, a coach this year. Wade Phillips. Yep. Uh, Skip Holtz. Yep. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of recognizable names. And there is, I do believe, one guy from the XFL, the MVP, Turpin. He actually plays for the Cowboys. He's their gadget guy, and he, he's involved in their offense. So okay. I don't AJ know McCarron. if there's a ton. A.J. McCarron made it to a Bengals roster. So there's some uh, level of success. I don't know if it's uh, enough, but there is some success there. 
but yeah, I mean, I, I see the the chat right now. They're they're saying that the best time for uh, that that sports watching is probably going to be Reds. Well, and, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, there's no doubt. But, but I mean, we can't sit here, you know, two hours every day and talk about every move that David Bell made, right? Or talk about uh, Zebra's guy Ian Jabot pitching for the seventeenth time in April. That's the prince that was promised, Tom. As Reds fans this year, he's our guy. You talk about all these rookies, but why not talk about the man from Great Britain himself, Harry Potter's (laughs) older brother, Ian Jabot. All right, we welcome you to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Lindsay, good morning. You're just sitting over there very quiet. You know, you're you're like a church mouse over there. I'm just listening. I'm taking it all in. Are you ready for football to be over, or do you enjoy football weekends? I enjoy football. I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I'm excited to see that. Who are you rooting for? The Chiefs. And not because of Taylor Swift. I'm actually rooting for the Chiefs because I like the Chiefs. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll get into who we're rooting for uh, as we move ahead looking into next week. I'm not going to talk a lot about the Super Bowl today. We'll talk about some NFL news. We have Charlie Goldsmith coming up shortly. Talk about some Reds. Also talk about Duke Tobin, who basically is a de facto general manager of the Bengals. Basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's down at the Senior Bowl. And uh, he went on the record. uh, Lengthy comments. Really didn't say anything that we didn't already know. Uh, whether he was asked about Jamar Chase's contract or T. Higgins' contract or Jonah Williams. These were a number of topics that uh, Duke talked about with Cincinnati.com yesterday. We'll uh, get into some of that with Charlie coming up uh, in about 15 minutes from now. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 to 12. And we're presented by United Dairy Farmers. You can join us on YouTube, Chatterbox Sports. We broadcast live on X. At Seabox Sports, if you'd rather join us in podcast form, search off the bench with Tom Brenneman, and you're dialed in. Well, with a week before the Super Bowl, college basketball takes center stage for a short while, and that's certainly the case here in the Queen City. Both UC and Xavier are looking for strong finishes if they have any chance to make the NCAA tournament come March. We start with the Bearcats. They play at West Virginia tonight with a chance to even their Big 12 record at 4-4. Four and four. Now, WVU is a very hard team to figure. You look at their record, and they're 7-13 and on the year. And we know what happened right before the season started. They had brought in this incredible transfer portal class, great recruiting class, but then Bob Huggins loses his job. And three-quarters of those guys left. Okay? So they got off to a terrible—I mean, they were losing to terrible teams early in the year. So they're 7-13. and But at home here recently, they just beat Texas and they beat Kansas. But then last week, they had back-to-back road losses at UCF and Oklahoma State. Go figure. And will Huggins be there tonight? Apparently, he's been at a few games this season since being uh, fired back in October. That'd make it interesting. Tip off at 7 again behind that paywall known as ESPN+. Well, you go to this news conference and this is what you get. I, we'll get into that sometime down the road. For Xavier, legendary head coach Rick Patino is healthy again. He just came back from a bout with COVID. He brings St. John's to the Centos Center tonight. Buskey's trying to rebound from that 43-point loss to number one UConn over the weekend. X 10-10 and 10 on the year. The Johnnies come in at 13-7, and seven, fresh off a 20-point win over Villanova. 
That ended a three-game losing streak. That included two one-point losses to Creighton on the road and Marquette at home. Tonight, tip-off is 6.30 at game on FS1. Also tonight, Florida plays at Rupp Arena against number 10, Kentucky, that game on ESPN at 8. Last night, number 3, North Carolina, upset by Georgia Tech, number 5, Tennessee, falls to South Carolina. 14th-ranked Illinois beat Ohio State in Columbus, 87-75. And look, Chris Holtman is on the hot seat as Buckeyes head coach. Been seven-plus years now. Much was expected on this very talented roster. And Ohio State is just falling apart as this season goes on. Number 21, Dayton, goes to 17-3 with a 22-point win over George Washington. And in the MAC, Miami and Ohio University both get wins last night. Congratulations to Tom Izzo. Got his 700th career coaching win last night. Every one of them at Michigan State University. And he beat Michigan to get number 700. He's already a Hall of Famer back in 2016. He started as head coach of the Spartans in 1995. NFL news, couple of hotly pursued offensive coordinators are staying put rather than pursuing head coaching jobs. Ben Johnson will stay as OC in Detroit. The same for Bobby Slowick in Houston. Both have been rumored for head coaching gigs in Seattle and Washington. In baseball, John Angelos has agreed to sell the Baltimore Orioles to the Carlisle Group co-founder David Rubenstein for a reported $1.72 billion. That's B with a B, a B, a B, a B, a B. Rubenstein is from Baltimore. That's B, a B, a B, a B, a B. He made his money on Wall Street and made a lot of it, boys and girls. Those are the guys, you know, it's funny. I thought of that Baltimore thing. And look, people, you know, you can go back and forth and whatever you want to do, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It really does not make a single sliver of difference to me one way or the other. Who owns the Reds? I don't care. But this is where you get into Baltimore is so similar the Orioles franchise to the Reds in so many ways. They have this great history. They have a great fan base. The market sizes are quite similar. They've gone through these rebuilds, and they've gone in some years back when the Orioles had, strangely enough, the last time the Reds were good, Davey Johnson was a manager, and the last time the Orioles were good until the last two years is when Davey Johnson was a manager. But they've gone through phases where they spent some money, then they've broken the thing down, and then they'll stink and they'll lose 100 games and all this kind of stuff. And now all of a sudden you get a guy who is a multi-billionaire. Now, Peter Angelos has a lot of money. Bob Castellini has a lot of money. They don't have the money that these Wall Street guys have. No. I mean, the guys that are like buying the Commanders and now buying the Orioles and those guys that bought the Dodgers. These guys are big, big, big money guys. And if you're an Orioles fan right now, considering, as I mentioned, that Rubenstein is a Baltimore native, so you know that he loves the Baltimore Orioles. Chances are, anyway, right? He must, because now he bought it. Right. I mean, wouldn't you have incredible hope if you live in a city like Baltimore? Your talent's there, right? Mm -hmm. Your farm system is producing great players. You finally... Had quite a year last year after building on it the year before. Kind of like the Reds, momentum going in the right direction. And now you get a guy who walks in the door that's just flush with cash. 
Yeah. I, I'm surprised that the Orioles made ownership change because they, I mean, they won 100 games. Yep. They are going to be, um, for the near future, going to be competing in that division, which has been long the best division in, in baseball. So this is a team that, that can absolutely win a championship, certainly have the talent, and they change ownership is a little interesting. But, yeah, you got to be in, incredibly, incredibly excited if you're an Orioles, Orioles fan. I've always wondered this, and I guess those, you know, commissioners run or the owners run every league, so there's no way to fix it. But I feel like if you're going to own a team, and maybe some guys are locked in because of how long they've owned their team, I really do think maybe if you if you're not going to do a salary cap, if you're not going to do a salary floor, maybe there should be like a net worth check. If you're going to own a team, maybe you should have like a, a, a stock portfolio that's in the it's in the well over billions. Because, you know, you, with respect to the Castellinis, there's no, they're not even close. They're not even close to the top of the, uh, of the pile when it comes to richest owners. And that's whatever. It is what it is. And that's why there's such an issue in baseball, a disparity amongst the, the Dodgers and then, and then the guys like the Reds. But I do I, – I credit. I credit the Steve Cohens of the world, the super fans, yeah. if you will, that go out with their billions and billions and billions – and show that they care and they try their best. Now, it didn't work for Cohen. You look at the Mets last year, they were a disaster. But I do think the, the, the thought is what counts there. And, and if, if you are a, a, a hundred billionaire, I don't know what that guy is, definitely not a hundred billionaire, but he's, 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 got, he's got a good amount of money. If you're, if you're that guy and you care about your team, go buy it. Go buy the team. I do think that I, I do think that's cool. Well, you know, the the, the thing is, though, it, it, it is that when these big, I mean, these billionaire guys buy the team, you really don't know every time what exactly it is you're going to get. I mean, when Daniel Snyder bought the Redskins, it's hard to believe that's what they used to call call him when when he bought him. Uh, now the Commanders, everybody thought that this was going to be kind of like the same thing, you know, with now this guy buying the Commanders. Because Snyder was a billionaire when he bought the team, and he bought it from a guy, Jack Kent Cook, who's a lot like, say, Bob Castellini, right? Yeah. A lot of money, but not Daniel right. Snyder money, okay? And a beloved figure was Jack Kent Cook. I mean, they had waiting lists for decades to get into Redskins games. Well, Snyder, you know, he, he spent a lot of money, but, man, he spent it poorly. Terrible. I mean, you mentioned Cohen last year. I mean, they're going out and signing 40-year-old pitchers to, you know, $40 million contracts, right? Yeah. right? Brandon um, Nimmo to $170 million or whatever. Right. Nimmo and, 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 you know, the Dodgers, with all the money they spent last year on their team, they still didn't get to the World Series. In fact, they got, they got swept in the opening round of the playoffs yeah. by a team that they won a divisional, divisional championship by 15 games, whatever it was last year over Arizona. Yeah. So, you know, you never know at the end of the day if one of these guys, if it's going to be an ego thing where they get their hands on everything and they start making decisions that they shouldn't be making, whether they hire the right people to make those decisions, uh, whether it be a president of baseball operations, Andrew Friedman still out there with the Dodgers, uh, whether it's, you know, the general manager you have for the team, the manager you have for the team, all those kinds of things. These are smart guys. They've made a lot of money. But it doesn't mean they're going to be great owners. But I think most fans feel like if I had an owner with more money than the guy that used to. I mean, Carl Linder. Carl Linder for many, many years. And a lot of guys your age don't remember this. Carl Linder for many, many years in Forbes magazine was in the top 10, some years the top five wealthiest men in America. I mean, he was there with the Warren Buffetts of the world. Yeah. Right? He owned everything. 
And he didn't go out and spend money like a drunken sailor. Yeah, and, and I think it's – I don't even know if it's like spending like the, the Dodgers, the Mets do, like crazy people. Um, but it is, it is – it gives like fans a sense of uh, – I don't, I, don't I don't know if the word is safety or security, knowing that they are able to. I, maybe, maybe that's the word. Maybe the hope that this owner will be able to do something if you, know, if, if you need to go out and spend for four or five guys to change an offseason, to, to change a team. What is Molly talking about? Tom, don't be afraid to be politically incorrect here. That's when you mentioned the commanders. Well, I mean, that, I was just saying, when he bought them, that's who they were. They were the Redskins. Yep. And then he changed their name to the commanders. Okay. Uh, we got Charlie Goldsmith coming up here in a matter of minutes. Uh, later on, we'll have Brian Billick, former Super Bowl winning head coach uh, for the Baltimore Ravens, to talk about, uh, you know, the Super Bowl and about, um, you know, some of his impressions about the playoffs really be interested to hear what Brian has to say about the Baltimore Ravens uh, and their epic collapse uh, over the weekend against Kansas City. But a pleasure to be joined. Very good friend of the program from Cincinnati.com, our main man, Charlie Goldsmith. Charlie, good morning. Uh, what good morning. are you going to do without football this weekend, Charlie? We were talking about just before you came on. Well, this weekend is on my dad's 75th birthday party. So uh, a lot of festivities going on on this off weekend. Very nice. We'll wish him a happy birthday. Will do. That's awesome. Good stuff. Uh, is he here in town, I assume? He's here. Yep, in Cincinnati. Okay. All right. Well, wish him happy birthday from all of us here on uh, Off the Bench. Um, you know, I, I know that your colleague, um, uh, Kelsey Conway, uh, had a chance to catch up down at the Senior Bowl with um, Duke Tobin, uh, basically the de facto general manager of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, look, uh, I really like Duke Tobin as a guy, and I think he's done a great job for this franchise. But he's not going to come out and, and really directly answer a lot of the questions I think a lot of the fans want to have answers to. When do you think we start getting some real answers to some of those questions? Well, the Bengals' way is, you know, Duke Tobin drops this line off, and I'm not going to break any news today until there is news. And then just the Bengals' approaches when there is news, typically it's Zach Taylor and not Duke Tobin being the one to speak. So, you know, uh, an answer on T. Higgins, he's not going to say, we're, yeah. we're entertaining offers on tra uh, trade offers on T. Higgins. And then if they did trade him, we'd talk to Zach. So you, you probably won't get clear, direct answers from the front office uh, from the front office on this as these processes go on. What, what do you think at the end of the day, and, and, and look, you, you can throw it under one huge umbrella and just say, duh, I mean, they're looking at everything. But do you think there are particular areas of focus while Duke Tobin and some of his guys are down there at this Senior Bowl this year? Some years would be more than others. Like in 2021, they spent the whole time looking at offensive linemen. But this year, like, what could the Bengals do in the draft? Well, they need a running back or multiple running backs. Need a receiver or multiple receivers. A tight end or multiple tight ends. They want to add depth on the offensive line. They might add a starting right tackle. They want to add a defensive tackle. They need depth at linebacker because Akeem Davis-Gaither and Marcus Bailey are free agents. Lou Anderumo is always interested in secondary depth. And they need a punter too. So that makes for a pretty busy process for the smallest front office in football. So evaluating everything, you know, a lot of the projected first round target guys aren't there for them right now. So looking at the draft as a whole and getting some important interviews in for that background information. You know, Charlie, I'm curious because a lot of people don't understand this uh, or, or maybe they do or, or maybe they just don't care. But, um, 
you know, you just made reference to it. It's a very small football operations franchise. Uh, and they lean hard, and I mean hard, as you well know, um, on their position coaches to be a big part of the talent evaluation. So here you are, you know, you're playing through a season, you're trying to get your guys ready for the next opponent, whatever uh, room you're in, offensive line coach, defensive line coach, blah, blah, blah. But you also at the same time are being asked to start evaluating players and watching film of college players and then going down to the senior bowl, putting together a, a list, one through whatever, of offensive linemen, tackles, guards, center, et cetera. Um, you know, at the end of the day, how much of a hindrance, if it's a hindrance at all, do you think it is on this franchise to have that kind of workload on a coaching staff rather than maybe hiring other guys as scouts? Do you think at the end of the day, the Bengals are at a disadvantage by playing according to those rules? Well, they, have, they haven't drafted well enough over the last two or three seasons. Look at the 2021 class, except for Jamar and McPherson. Hasn't panned out well enough. You have some nice potential in the 2022 class. You know, Cam Taylor-Britt's fantastic. Um, Dax Hill has the potential to be, but the depth in that class hasn't been what they expected. And then last year's draft class, a bunch of depth guys, but no one really ran through with the starting role last year. The book's still kind of out on that group. You can make the case that because of how they've won, the process is going well enough. I'm going to take that question in an interesting direction, though. What are they losing when they lose Brian Callahan? Brian Callahan, one of his hidden strengths is he really understands offensive line play. He really understands evaluating, say, a lot of experience evaluating wide receivers and tackles. I bet those are two of the most likely positions they'd look to address with their early round picks. What is Dan Pitcher's role? and experience level in evaluating offensive tackles yeah. and wide receivers. Now, he does have a scouting background, yeah. and he does have an analytics background as well, so that does help. But what does his voice look like in this process compared to, you know, Brian Callahan would be a top, a top, top of the billing guy that, that the Bengals would be empowering from a voice perspective in these processes previously. What does that look like for Dan Pitcher this year? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, and then you get into the whole thing about, you know, you talked about their drafts and, and evaluating. And, and, and then, you know, during the season, we hear so much about Duke Tobin. I mean, uh, pardon me, about uh, Frank Pollock. And, you know, is he a good coach? Is he not a good coach? Well, I mean, the guy's got a track record. But I wonder if his track record also includes evaluating talent. Because let's be honest about it. They've been in position the last number of years to select some, some offensive linemen that, that generally picked in the slots where they've picked their guys, the Carmens, the Smiths, et cetera, that they've turned out to be good players. And that has not been the case here. So Frank Pollock is a fascinating figure to me. One, because like they hired him to do the wide zone run stuff. And then they kind of took the offense in a completely different direction and are having him work in areas from a run game perspective that haven't been his strengths. I think his biggest asset is that he's a recruiting asset. Like, I know Lyle Collins didn't work out, but, like, he wanted to play for Frank. Orlando Brown Jr. wanted to play for Frank, and those were part of the reasons that they had confidence coming in the door in Cincinnati. Frank was one of the guys who had a big voice in, like, you know, I like Ted Karras, I like Alex Kappa, et cetera. The 2021 draft, Carmen and Smith both look like misses. I tend to give guys a pass in their first year in these roles from a draft perspective, just like, you know, I give Zach Taylor a pass for drafting Ryan Finley. It was his first year. They didn't quite know what they were looking for. 
They've drafted one offensive lineman since then, and that was Cordell Volson, who has been a hit. I think that this next you know, phase of lineman they draft, that's when we'll really know how Frank Pollock is from an offensive line evaluation perspective. Look, everybody has their opinion on it, Charlie, and, uh, but, but you're around the, 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 the people that are the decision makers uh, on, a, on a pretty frequent basis. You just went through a laundry list of things that they're going to have to address during this offseason. But if you were to prioritize one Two, three. What do you think they are? Doesn't have to be in any particular order, but 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 narrow down the six or seven or eight to if they got these three things done, then you'd feel really good about where they're headed. I'll start here, like Reds, Bengals, any sport. I always start with give me the best players. And the best player that the Bengals could possibly add or keep in the mix or whatever you want to say is T. Higgins. I would be very much aggressively looking towards building around Higgins, whether that's through the tag on the short term or, you know, ideally you get a deal done, but that hasn't sound like it's been picking up steam. Next, you know, protect Joe Burrow. We've been talking about it for four years. I've made this joke before. You and I have a better chance of starting week one at right tackle than any other offensive lineman currently on the roster. You need to find that solution. I like the idea of a bridge veteran and then a first or a second round pick to groom for the future. And then, like, we've spent a lot of time talking about the secondary and their struggles. But then when you look at the playoffs, a big takeaway that I have is if you really want to get stops, you just need guys up front who are going to blow it yep. up. Look at all the, all the ways the Bengals have lost in the playoffs. That's how you beat these types of offenses like the Bengals. I look for a pass-rushing defensive tackle and make a really aggressive move there. Whether There's like a really good class of those in free agency, starting with Christian Wilkins, who fits a lot of what the Bengals look for. And then in the draft as well, you got Newton from Illinois. You got a, you got a guy from Texas as well uh, who could be options in the first round. So guys like that can be a starting point to improve your pass rush. All right, let's shift gears over uh, to the Red Legs. I continue to be very surprised. I mean, there's a part of me that understands why they're not getting a little more love from the guys in Vegas uh, talking about the Reds as far as their over-under win total. Now, look, those guys miss. I mean, they're not perfect, although historically speaking, they're pretty good. Uh, that, that, that's why they have these buildings that cost billions of dollars, and they continue to build them right there on the Strip of Vegas, right? I think they know what they're doing. But – They've been wrong before, uh, and they were wrong about a lot of teams last year. But with the offseason the Reds have had this year, uh, I'm a little surprised they're still sitting in that 80 to 81, 82 range as far as wins are concerned. Are you? So I'm at 86 wins with them right now. So, yeah, I'd have them higher. I obviously don't know how the, this Vegas stuff works, but here's my, like, theory. Look at the rest of the division. I would say you have some bigger, more established players on three other teams in the division. You have Swanson in a very experienced Cubs lineup, Steele, who was a very who was a Cy Young candidate last year. The Brewers, Adamas, Contreras, Burns. Um, they, they have, a, a you know, Torino, a top prospect as well. Um, the Cardinals, Goldschmidt, Arenado, one of the best one-two punches in the National League. The Reds obviously have less of a track record, less on paper, less counting stats because it's such a team or it's a team that is so reliant on young talent. Now, I'm very high on a lot of that young talent. I think Matt McClain and De La Cruz and Marte and Green and Lodolo and, you know, Connor Phillips and guys like that can become these types of players who are perennial, you know, this doesn't exist, but first team all NL Central type players. I think they're on that track. They're not there yet. I would say there are more experienced first team all NL Central players on, you know, these other teams except the Pirates. And that's probably a big reason why Vegas is higher on. I was stunned the Pirates in the most recent over-under I saw. The Pirates, and, 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 and Reed has talked about them before and some of the talent they have, 
that they're only two wins behind the Reds. I'm worried about the Pirates this year. The Pirates were, like, the Reds struggled a lot, especially early in the year against the Pirates because they have, I mean, they play Pirates baseball. We all know what that means. I'm very concerned about their pitching depth. Like, how worried were, were we at the start of the offseason about the Reds' pitching depth? No, we're not all right. They got Montas, they got Martinez, they got Pagan, they got Suter. The Pirates added worse versions of all of those pitchers. Like, they got Martin Perez. They got uh, Bailey Falter. I think they got him in the middle of last year. They got one other guy like that to address their rotation. Like, these are – they added, hopefully, fifth starters to address their biggest weakness. And then they got Chapman to fix their bullpen. Uh, I'm not sure that solves the pitching depth problem they have. And then they don't have Green, Lodolo, and Ashcraft. You know, they have Paul Steens, but I wouldn't expect him at least until very late in the season. They don't have the top-line talent. They don't have the depth that the Reds have in their pitching staff. And they have some of the worst pitching depth, I think, in all of the National League. All right, boys, bounce around. Uh, Zebra, we'll start with you. Anything for our good friend Charlie Goldsmith? I, I just have one. I was going to say, Charlie, if you have to pick one of the rookies this year, one of the rookies on the Reds, that is, to either replicate or exceed what they did last season, who would you pick? I think Matt McClain's really good. Mm, like, I'm picking McClain to be an all-star this year. Like, I remember talking to a Reds coach, and we're breaking down his game. It's like, wait, he's just, like, good at everything right now, and oh, pitchers yeah. fear him and keep around him. Um, just such a polished player who, even, like, when he was in high A playing in big league spring training games, just looked ready. I think he's that type of consistent guy who will continue to build on that. I agree. Reed? Uh, first, I just wanted to comment. Charlie, you're looking fresh today. The Eddie Bauer pullover, Man. real sharp, fresh cut. You look great. I just wanted to just wanted to compliment. You look great. Um, you talked a, a little bit about T. Higgins, and and, and you think um, I mean, there's a lot of routes that you can go there. You can tag him. You can tag and trade him. If if T. Higgins isn't on the Cincinnati Bengals next year, do you think Drew Sample can step up and fill that talent gap? <laughs> it's funny because you're onto something. <laughs> If they lose T. Higgins, I think tight ends will be a big part of the plan to replace T. Higgins. And you'll see the Bengals try to become a little something different offensively that features the middle of the field more through receiving threats at tight end. Now, is that Drew Sample? They'd love to have him back, but obviously in a different role. But you are onto something. Tight ends could be a big part of replacing their production. Yeah, because that's something that the Bengals have shown that they don't value overly, right? Like tight ends. I mean, they've, they've gone out. C.J. Uzama, they let him go. They get Hayden Hurst, and then they let him go, and they get Herb Smith. Do, do you anticipate that tight end will play a bigger role in this next iteration of the Bengals? So, so I think that's a misconception. Or I know that is a misconception okay. that the Bengals don't value tight ends. It, like, if you rolled the dice 100 times of their off-seasons in 2022 and 2023, more often than not, they would have ended up with more aggressive investments than Hayden Hurst and Irv Smith at that position. But the way the board shakes out, the way the draft shakes out, all of these things happened where the Bengals didn't end up in a spot. You know, They didn't expect Orlando Brown Jr. last year. It would have been much more right. likely that they would have had a higher upside tight end than that. That's just not how the cookie crumbled. I know they're even interested in having more two tight end sets next year, which hasn't really been something that they've done much of at all. So, you know, you got sampled next to another tight end. That's a lot of tight end production right there. And well, that, that's like seriously a plan long term. Right. Well, I mean, you know, you look at the teams that were in the final four this year, right? And the production they got out of the tight end position. I mean, you know, Laporta, phenomenal rookie year. We know who Kittle is. We know who Kelsey is. Um, and of course the Ravens, you know, they, uh, even though he was hurt going back to the Bengals game, the kid who replaced Edwards did a hell of a job, a very important part of their offense. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see if the Bengals try to learn anything. You're always in the business of trying to learn something about teams that have success copycat league 
We'll see if, if, if tight end does indeed become more prominent. Casey, before we let him go, anything from you at all today? Nope, I don't think so. You sure? Yep. Lindsay, you have anything for Charlie Goldsmith? No. Nope. You don't? No. Okay. All right. Charlie, <laughs> have a great rest of your day. Thanks for the flexibility today of uh, coming on. I know I jacked you around with three different times, so thank you very, very much. Good catching up. All right, buddy. Charlie Goldsmith from Cincinnati.com. He'll be on his way out to Arizona here soon. What, spring training's like, what, two and a half weeks away, pitchers and catchers? Pitchers Isn't that crazy? Isn't that Something crazy? like that? Yep. That is wild. That's hard to believe. You know, but these things do keep coming out that I asked him about, and I, don't, I can't remember what the most recent one was, but they had the Reds at 80 wins. Set fan graphs, I think, 79 and a half. 79 wins. Yeah, That's 79 correct. and a half. That's what it was, fan graphs. Because, right. uh, I mean, like, I think we can all agree here that it, based off of what they did last year and based off the improvements that the Reds have added to their roster, that the anticipation is that this team's going to be much better. But there's also, as your dad has alluded to, as someone who constantly trolls the Reds like I do, there's a lot of youth on this team, and you can't always anticipate youth to get better. I know that's what we do. We see someone have a, have a good rookie year, and you anticipate, hey, you're going to get better in your sophomore. You'll get better in your third year. But that's not always what happens. And there's a lot of players that, that, that stood out last year, but I don't think I, – I think it's more than rational to anticipate that at least one or two of those guys don't improve this year. I think the sophomore slump is a very real thing, and I think you could see that this season for the Reds. I don't think it'll happen, but I think it, it's certainly on the table. I, you can't rule it out. And I think there is probably a lot of people uh, out there that, that are going to overhype this Reds team, like I am going to probably do, uh, at least to start the season. You, you know, you, you, after you watch what happened last year, it's hard to not be, uh, to quote Moneyball, romantic about baseball, about this Reds team, because... They've given us excitement for the first time in what seems like forever. Mm -hmm. Even the 2020 team, uh, it was kind of it was kind of wishy washy. A because the season was what 50 games yep. or something, and then B because uh, that team was pretty bad for every for every game up until the last two weeks of the season when I think they played the Pirates ten times. So I I, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm mixed on this team. I think the Reds mm -hmm. are going to be. Uh, at least competitive every single game, every single night. This is not going to be like the 2017 Reds when Scott Shebler is our best player. This is a different. This is a different era of Reds baseball, um, and, and I'm excited to see it. 82 wins at, at this point. Uh, I've I've said it yesterday, Tom, but I already bet the over. I I, I think 82 is is drastically too low. The issue, and I and this is this is me being completely serious. The biggest issue for the Reds is the division. They have to win divi more divisional games. They have to. They get killed against the Brewers every single time. They don't score runs. The Cardinals, I think they were okay against. I think that was their best team. Or maybe the Cubs were. I think the Cubs were. The Reds finished with a yeah. winning record against the Cubs somehow everybody, everybody last year. They didn't have one. Um, and then the Pirates, the Reds, for some reason, at least the past several years, have been struggling against the Pirates. Yeah, because they're a nice team. You have, to, you have to win the divisional games. You have to. Or else you were – much like the Bengals this year, you win two divisional uh, games, and it's a lot different heading into the Browns' uh, last game of the year. So I, it's about the division for me. It's about the division. And if the Pirates are going to be competitive, the Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs are going to be competitive, Reds might, might see some regression. It's funny how quickly things have – like the opinion of, of Reds, fa or Reds fans' opinions of the Pirates have changed. Because I remember just like three weeks ago, me and Nick Kirby were saying like, guys, this, this Pirates team – They've got talent. Like they've got a young a, a young crop of talent. Now they could still pirate it, right? They still could come out and, and win sixty five games. And 
I don't think that would surprise anybody. But as I've said from the get-go when talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates, they won 75, 76 games last year without their best player, without a good pitching staff. And if the Reds can go from 61 wins to 81 or 82, whatever they won last year, without a good pitching staff, why can't the Pirates do the same thing? So I, it, it, it's just funny how quickly the, the, the tone has changed about the Pirates in, in, in this area because they, they, they have a lot of talent. They really do. I still think they're going to pirate it. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you I this. <laughs> I will never bet on the Pirates no, to be good at anything. Ever. Never. Never. And, and if Clint Hurdle was still there, he'd still try to throw baseballs at all of our players' heads. You know what's so it's Well, yeah. the Reds were right in the mix of all that, too. I don't know. I, I don't mean, think they, so, They Tom. were right in the mix. I was at all those games. You were watching all those games. I mean, both teams, every time McCutcheon came to the plate, Chapman buzzed him up around the every like clockwork. Yeah. I mean, it was it was nasty on both sides. But I but I'm specifically talking about that uh, Derek Dietrich era. You remember when he started yep. pimping those home runs like yep. that? The Pirates again. I don't re I don't respect Clint Hurdle. I think he's a dirty manager. If I'm to be honest, but I I, I think that there is a rivalry there. And if, if that's what it takes the, for Clint Hurdle just to whiz balls at us, that's that's okay. Yeah. I don't think the Reds. I don't think the Reds instigated it. I don't think the Reds. Instigated well, it. all I know is is that two teams combined that year. I that was can't a bad remember what the season. It was an all-time major league record yeah. for hit batsmen over the course of a season between two teams right. in a season series. Broke the all-time major league record. Yep. There were guys getting drilled two, three times every game. I was going to say this about um, just, just real quickly about the Pirates. You know, a lot of talk last year about the Cincinnati Reds and, and if they should have made a move at the deadline. And I know that was a very divisive thing to, to get more pitching. And I don't know if this this team was ever brought up, the Pittsburgh Pirates from like 2018, but this uh, I just remember this a few years ago. But the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2018 won 83 games. In the end of July, they were almost in the exact same spot as the Cincinnati Reds were this past year, right? They were you know near the top of the NL Central. They were um, fighting for a wild card spot, and they had really bad pitching. And they go out, all right, let's go make a move. To, to shore up our pitching staff. And what did they do? They went out and got a, a nice veteran starter in Chris Archer. And it was like if there was ever a sign that the Reds shouldn't have made a move last year, it was what happened in that trade. Because they get Chris Archer, and they traded away Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now yep. to, the, to the Tampa Bay Rays, who turned out both to be all-stars, multiple-time all-stars. So I just a, just a caveat well, dating back to what the Reds did this past year in, in, in a – a warning sign that maybe they made the right decision. Maybe, but I still don't think if, if you go out and you try to make a move and it doesn't work, I don't blame the franchise. I don't blame the organization. I don't blame the general manager uh, for going out there and trying, right? I, I, I think like well, Mike Moustakis, for example. Mike Moustakis was coming off a career year. He had like 40 doubles, 30 home runs yep. in Milwaukee. We get him. We sign him. We overpay for him. That's a move I was excited about. I like the move. Because A, they were trying to win games, and B, they were signing a player that was should have been good. Unfortunately, it looked like he gained a lot of weight. He wasn't. It, it wasn't. I'm, I'm serious. He wasn't healthy, uh, and and it didn't work out. And I feel like that move kind of scared the front office for making a similar move. Now we're past that. We're, we've we've moved on from it. They spent a ton of money this year, and they're going to be ready for opening day. Yeah. Uh, exciting, at least the, the the team will be exciting on opening day for the first time in, in quite some time. Um, by the way, it was pointed out in the chat. Uh, I, I guess I, every time I talk about the Ravens tight end, I call him Mark Edwards instead of Mark Andrews. 
Uh, does anybody remember Mark Edwards around here? He was one of the great stories in Cincinnati high school sports history. No, I don't That's remember. why I always slip up on it. I mean, I'm roughly, a, I mean, I'm older than he is, but he was a kid, went to Norwood High School, becomes the starting running back at Notre Dame for three years, has three or four of the greatest moments in the history of Notre Dame football. When they beat, I think, number four, number five, USC, he was carried off the field. The only other player that had been carried off the field in the history of Notre Dame was Rudy. Rudy Rudiger. And Mark Edwards became that? the second. He went on the NFL, second round pick, uh, played for the Browns, played for four or five other teams. He played in about, eh, about nine years, ten years in the NFL. Uh, became a, if I'm not mistaken, um, there was an incredible documentary uh, on him about his whole journey going from Norwood to Notre Dame to the NFL. But that's, I always slip up and call Mark Andrews Mark Edwards. He was a Mr. Football in Ohio. Oh, I mean, I, he was an unbelievable player. Well, I think we, like the city of Cincinnati. Second round draft pick. The city of Cincinnati went like 30 years without having a quote-unquote Mr. Football. And I think it was from Mark Edwards until uh, uh, maybe Evan Prater. I think it might have been Evan Yeah, Prater. he would have been. Yep. Yeah, it would have been Evan Prater. Yeah, so long stretch there. Yeah. Mr. Football. Yeah, he was a 55th overall pick in 1997 by the 49ers was there went to the browns went to the patriots where he won a super bowl by the way jaguars well, if he played for the patriots in the last 20 years he probably probably yeah there's a good chance win. he won a super bowl yeah i can hard to believe he's uh, almost 50 what about that 50 years old good for him he might even be watching today for all we know i don't know um casey Yes, you seem a little down and out today. I got to tell you, before we get to some other of these topics, you just <laughs> seem a little down and out. Uh, something going on? You shaved your beard? Or are you like, uh, you know, why am I drawing a blank uh, from the Bible when he cut his hair? Uh, that was uh, Samson. Yeah. Samson. I mean, uh, is that you? No, no, that's not me. Um, I'm just tired. I, I had a late, light, late night last you night. You did? What were you doing? You out and about? Just no, no. I just got dog problems right now. And well, I'm sorry to hear that. I hope uh, boy or girl dog. Girl. Is she girl. okay? Yeah, she's fine. She's okay. just a baby. Okay. Going to the bathroom in the house, all that kind of stuff. No, she's so she's a boiler problems. She's a nine year old dog, oh, and nine years old. Um, she's not spayed. And uh, we just bought new furniture, new carpet and whatnot. And the diapers that we bought for her are too, too big. And so we had to move her into a different room where she wouldn't, you know. And any little change in her routine sure. causes her to uh, howl and carry on all night. So that's what she did all well, night. Well, why don't you get her fixed? Well, it's too late to get her fixed now, Tom. She's nine years old. <laughs> Well, and I, she's I'm, still having some issues. I mean, you know, right? Clearly. Well, my yeah. wife tried to put a diaper on me <laughs> to keep me out of certain rooms in the house because I'm getting a little older. But, I mean, you might want to examine that. A diaper? Yeah. Just, a diaper. Yeah, a dog diaper, yeah. Do, do you have a, I mean, can, do you have a door that you open and the dog could go outside? Yeah. Right? Yes. What, what's wrong with that? I can't keep her out there. I didn't say you had to keep her out there. <laughs> I didn't she's say not, you had to leave her spayed. out there all night long. She's not long. spayed, Tom. She's not spayed. She, she has like her period. Yeah, she, I, she's in heat. I, I, I get that. What I'm saying is, is that can you, when it comes to going to the bathroom, can you not let her outside to go to the bathroom? Yes, you can. Okay. She goes to the bathroom normally, Tom. It's okay. just, it's just we, we don't want to, she's, wanna, bleeding. she's yeah. bleeding, bleeding right now. I got you. Okay. I got you. Okay. 
Don't want to ruin the furniture. I mean, I'm a dog guy. I didn't know that still happened even after that long. Yeah, I I mean, and apparently they only happen every six months. They last for about two to three weeks. So wow, and you can't you can't you can't neuter you can't spade a female dog after a certain age. It's it's very it's very very but they don't go through menopause where they stop menstruating. Um. Male dogs, you can get them neutered whenever. Well, yeah. But gir- female dogs, you got to do it in the first year. And there you go. You never thought you were going to get this yeah, from off the bench, did you? No, but I, you know what? I, I mean, <laughs> I am a dog guy, as you female know, through and through. And I, I, um, I am really super. They call them heat cycles. That's right. Vaginal discharge or bleeding. Yeah. Okay. Well, you get it yeah. all on this Two to four time. weeks every six to 12 months. <laughs> That's right. There you go. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I, I never knew that. And, and nobody has had more dogs than I've had. Well, yeah, there are people who have had more dogs. But um, we've had them all through the years. But I guess they were all fixed by the time we got them from the pound. Yeah, and the, the, the time I spent being up all night I actually was spending on the, uh, the Senior Bowl, which I know we haven't really covered a whole lot. But a lot of great prospects. Um, that's what I've been focusing on uh, during my off time here the last couple of days is – getting to know the draft prospects, building out my board, figuring out guys that I really like. Uh, don't have any names to say just yet, but working on it for everyone. So then we can uh, get our picks in, get our Dewan Jones and Sam Laporta's in. But, yeah. That's... Yeah, Nick Norman says, where else are you going to get uh, <laughs> menstrual cycle facts about female dogs? Yeah. <laughs> Come right I mean, you top. get it all, right? You got it all. Get it wrong? I mean, maybe you learned something today. I mean, some of you guys, we drift off, you know, talking about some left tackle out of Texas State. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, you're like, you're in the chat, you're just going crazy. That's, it's, it's, I mean, I, I think it's nice to learn something every now and again. I agree. I mean, maybe you want to learn something about the left tackle from Texas State. Maybe. 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 And that's cool. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. I, I will say when we talk about blood, it makes, it makes old Ellie a little queasy. So, I, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a big blood it's, guy. It's not about the football or the baseball. It's about the minstrel. That's right. You learn along the that's way. Exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, but I, I can't get, I, again, you know, I, I say this about baseball players, and I say it about young players. Uh, now, you know, look, they get more pub talking about uh, the senior bowl and guys coming out, whether they're declaring early, whether they're a senior. You've watched them play a lot on national TV in, in many cases, not all cases. The majority you have not, unless you pay attention, really close attention to particular teams, a lot of them, right? Most of the guys that are coming out in the draft, even hardcore football fans, unless that's your job to follow the draft, don't know who most of these guys are. You're going to know who Marvin Harrison is, but you're not going to know really a lot about the guy who's a right tackle, even at a school like Alabama. And, you know, we've talked to Brian Billick about this before, about about drafting and how important good drafts are. Yeah. Um, And how, you know, you look at the, the, the two sports we've been talking about here today, baseball versus football. They're so dramatically different in how long uh, the exposure their drafts get, you're getting guys in high school or college. You're making a choice here in baseball. Football, you're getting them at least, at least, excuse me, three years of college football because that's what they have to play before they can declare for the draft. Three years in college. Maybe they only play one year, but three years they play and, and off they go. Um, so, look, you see the Marvin Harrison Juniors of the world and, and the Caleb Williams of the world and all those kinds of guys. 
But it's interesting that when you have a salary cap, even though the salary cap continues to go up, you have a salary cap in football, right, where everybody basically is playing within the same guidelines, right, up to a certain point. You can't have some owner go spend a gazillion dollars on free agent players and trying to do, say, what the Dodgers have done this winter, right? And you, you, we hear so much about how important it is to draft and, and draft well. And when you go through two or three years where you don't, now because of some of the contracts you're spending, say, for quarterbacks, now you're focusing even more on how well you're doing in the draft because you can't have misses, right. right? And then you hear the same thing about baseball. Well, the smaller market teams have to draft better and develop better. That's the key word that most people don't pay attention to, in my opinion. And it's the same thing for football and baseball. You can have the best evaluators of talent in the world. You can have a guy who just has a great eye for being able to go watch, and this is a name from the past, but his story was just unbelievable, it was Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer. He's, fl he's playing down at Florida A&M. And a baseball scout goes to watch a different player. And there have been a ton of these in every sport. Same thing with Sam Hubbard when he went to, to Moeller High School and he saw Sam Hubbard out playing um, dodgeball. And he went there to, to, to talk to some other kid. He's like, who's that guy? Well, some guys just have that eye for it. But the word that gets lost frequently for me and what separates the baseball teams and the football teams, the good ones from the bad ones, is what happens once you get them here. What happens to them? We talked about Jackson Carmen, local kid, everybody and his brother's rooting for this guy. But the more and more you hear, I don't know if football is really important to Jackson Carmen. Now, they poke and prod and they interview these guys when they get them to the combine and that's coming up, yet you still miss on the heart. We talk about you know, the analytics, right? That's why I, I don't go crazy about this draft stuff. I mean, we're going to have to on this show. But, I mean, what do you really know at the end of the day? What do you really know about the right tackle out of Alabama and what he's going to do once you get him in here? What are the four things that they look at, right? The size of the, of the athlete, the athleticism of the athlete, the technique of the athlete, and then the big question mark, as you alluded to with Jackson Carmen, is the drive of the athlete. Very few prospects have all four, right? Yep. There, there are certain things, like Jackson Carmen had the size, and he had the athleticism. Did he have the technique? Not so much. Did he have the drive? It appears not. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the question mark, right? And that's, that's what the, the good teams do. They draft well. They, they solve those things. Do, how, out of those four things, how many do we have with this athlete right here? And you could argue, well, what's the most important out of those? Yep. Some would say their, their size, right? How can you be a good O-lineman if, if you don't have the size? How can you be a good wide receiver if you don't have the athleticism? But I would always argue, and a lot of people would argue, what's all that good for if you don't have the drive and you don't want to do it, if you don't want to show up and be the best you can be every single day? One thing I will say about offensive linemen evaluating, you can tell the guys that have drive because usually they're the guys – that don't stop till the whistle's blown, mm -hmm. that are driving guys outside of the camera view. And those are usually your top prospects. But guys that are like Jackson Carmen, um, who had problems finishing guys off, like you can kind of tell when a guy is supposed to be the strongest athlete and he's not finishing guys off 
that – and what I mean by finishing them off, I mean like taking them to the ground or getting them out of the play, pushing them outside of the camera view when you're watching right. film, stuff like that. Like Panay Sewell was great at that. Right. There's a lot of guys in this draft. Th this is actually a loaded offensive line class um, so far from what I've seen. And uh, I, I, I'll go into it deeper when, when we get to that point. Yeah. But you can tell with some of these guys who has drive just by watching film. Film doesn't lie. The film does not lie. Well, you, you know, are, when you say I that, Casey, it. and I, I don't disagree with you on that. But, I mean, what was the year? I mean, it's probably now eight, ten years ago now. Where the Bengals knew that they had Whitworth coming up, they had Andre Smith coming up, they mm -hmm. had all these other guys coming up, and their first two picks in the draft are these two offensive linemen out of the Pac-12. One was from Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, the other was from Washington, right? And, I mean, these were, like, going to be the guys for the next 10 years. After Whitworth? Is that what you're saying? Jake Fisher and Cedric Obway. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, these two guys were stiffs. And Literally. I mean, when when you turn on the draft and Mel Kuyper and these guys are are, are are showing video of them, they're finishing guys off. They're blowing guys up. They're dominating everybody. And then on the flip side, you go to your guy and my guy and Vach's guy, Dewan Jones. I mean, you sit there and watch a film on that cat, yet everybody watches it who allegedly knows so much about it and they're like, nope, not first round, nope. Not second round. Was he third or fourth? Well, they questioned his drive, but again. Yeah, that was it, They right? questioned just... his weight and whether or not, he, what he would run the 40 in. I mean, there are a lot of things in this world to care about. If I'm looking for an offensive lineman, the last thing in the world that I'm worried about is what the son of a gun runs a 40-yard dash in. I don't care if he ever runs a 40-yard dash in practice I don't care in a game his entire life, much less how fast he runs the 40-yard dash. Well, yeah, I mean, there's some drills that are more important than others in terms of specific p positions. I mean, you're going to want to know the 40 for receivers. Well, of and course, I'm talking about offensive tackle. Yeah, for offensive tackle, you want those drills to be the, the strength-based, or you want them to be the more the, the latter drills, things where they can evaluate the – the feet, how good is he with his feet positioning-wise? Because if you don't have good feet, you're going to trip over yourself. Things like that. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying, Tom. Uh, it was a huge swing and miss on the league to not get DeJuan Jones. But you could tell in his film, he was fantastic at five different things. And those five different things, he dominated guys. And I mean, dominated guys. One of my favorite things was the trap and snatch that he did, which is basically trapping a guy, pulling him down, belly flopping on top of the guy yeah. and he did that to an elite level and it seems stupid but it is it is a uh i would say a gamer mentality when you're able to do that to the best in in any position in college football and then to transfer that over to the nfl and he's doing that to nick bosa i mean it's I thought it was pretty easy to see all right but, let me ask you this when you talk about the wide receivers and their 40 yard dash times of John Ross. Well, you, you look over the last number of years, some guy named Rondell Melendez, 4.2 and 99. Jerome Mathis, 4.2 and 05. Marquise Goodwin, who was a track star and a football player in 13, 4.2. Henry Ruggs, a third, 
Eric Stokes, 4.3. Rondale Moore, 4.3. These are some of the guys that have been drafted over the last number of years. All of those guys, and many, many more, run a faster 40 than Jamar Chase. Well, I mean, like, Tom, I mean... I mean, where where is the line here? Do you really think you have to have a guy who's running a sub-4-5-40 to make a decision if he's going to be a great wide receiver or not? If you're asking, is speed important to the wide receiver position, it obviously is, Tom. But no, the 40-yard the, the dash shouldn't be the only thing you draft a guy on. Like the Bengals drafted John Ross the third on. I mean, we drafted him because he was the top. He, he broke the record, right, in the 40-yard draft. That should not, that should not be what you draft a guy for. But yeah, speed's obviously important when it comes to the wide receiver position. I, I, I'm not. I'm not disputing. I know, that. You're I'm not. just I'm saying just... that. I mean, everybody thinks, "Oh God, I have the guy. I got to have the guy that runs a four-two. I got to have the guy that runs a four-three or the four-four. Well, it's not. It's, like, it's, it's like, not just it's that. Like I know it's not just that. I understand that. But you were the first. You just said it a second ago. It's really important in the wide receiver. I don't know if it's really important. I think it's important. I think there are a lot of other things I'd rather have in a wide receiver. First of all, can a son of a bitch catch a ball? That's what I want to know. That's fair. Is he durable? Does he get on the field? Yeah, but I mean, like I said before, film does not lie. Film is king. But I'm trying to find the stat that proves my point here. But out of all the pro bowlers and the all pros that were selected, about 85% of them had fantastic RAS scores, which you know how I feel about the yeah. relative athletic yeah. scoring. I mean, that, that's, that is important. It is important to test well and be the right. best athletes on the field as well. There is something to be said about your cerebral ability to, to be able to read defenses, to be able to find the open space, to be able to make the right cuts, find the open holes, to be able to do the right moves and, and pass rush, all that. But – you got to take each thing at, at, at face value and say, okay, well, if he's not this fast, then we can't do this with him in our scheme. That's true. And that, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Like for the Bengals, they would do – it would be great for them to find a guy that was able to break 4-4 in the 40 time because we don't have a really fast guy. We have downtown Charlie Brown that can run east and west. Well, you can't get him on the field. And you can't go north and south, though. But you, you get my point, Tom. Yeah, I know. Like those are things that you look for – when you're starting to get guys that are on the same talent level but have different type of skills. A guy that maybe runs a 4-5-5 five, five in the 40-yard dash but has great hands, okay, that fits more of the T. Higgins mold. We probably want to find a guy that can replace T. Higgins. Well, what about Tyler Boyd? Tyler Boyd ran like a 4-5 as well, but he had, uh, he, he had more of the uh, better cone drills, so he was – quicker he was uh, able to make quicker moves so you're looking for a smaller type of guy to fill in that role that's what i'm talking about when it comes to some of these drills and that's why it's important to be an athlete right it's it's like the the best comparison i could give it is like there's multiple ways to get guys out as a pitcher right i mean you could you could throw multiple ways to do it but when you throw 100 miles an hour as opposed to 90 miles an hour it makes it a little bit easier when when you do have that fastball and that's all they're looking for when, when you're looking at multiple wide receiving talents. And you got a guy that's, you know, that, that when the pretty similar prospects, but one guy runs a heck of a lot faster, it just gives you an edge there. 
That's all it is. I agree. But, I, I, you know, again, but you just bring up another topic. We'll get into it another day. And, I mean, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard guys that have been around baseball a long time. What are we getting with all these guys now throwing 100? What you're getting is a bunch of guys who can't throw the ball over the plate, and you're getting a bunch of guys who are broke down guaranteed within a year or two. I mean, look no further than Hunter Green. Look no further. Throws harder than all of them, and you can't keep him on the field. I mean, I hope and pray. And, and he can't develop. He hadn't developed a third, really a second pitch for that matter. I mean, he's got a decent slider, and when it's on, it's pretty good. But, I mean, you know, it, 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 and, and look, you could sit here and say, well, I'll give you, you know, six of the hardest throwers in baseball and how they did last year. Okay, that's fine. But also, let me see about the, you know, there, there are a lot of guys, there are a lot more of the guys that are throwing hard that are struggling than guys that are throwing hard and just dominating everybody out there. The best pitcher in baseball for the last 25 years, not even close hands down, has been Clayton Kershaw. He's not throwing 98, 99 yeah. miles an he, hour. He threw upper 90s when he first came up, but now he's, he's, he's certainly And has been pitcher. for a long time not right, throwing right. that hard. Yeah. I mean, you get worn down after a while. All right, let's get to some of this with our main man, former Super Bowl winning head coach, Brian Billick, kind enough to join the program. Coach, good morning. How are you today? Good morning to you. Good to see you, buddy. A uh, question for you. We're sitting here talking about um, speed or evaluating players at the Senior Bowl. You were just at one of the bowl games here recently and coached in it. Um, you know, as time goes by, have you changed your mind one way or the other uh, on how much evaluation you put into just some of the pure physical skills of a guy you know we were talking about for example there were a ton of guys that ran a faster 40 than jamar chase i mean a ton of them right the fastest guy that ran the 40 was one of the biggest biggest bust in the history of the bengals and john ross okay what as time has gone by and they do all these different drills whatever it might be and evaluating players just based on the physical skills are they putting too much weight into that now no, not you have to look at it in the cumulative. You're right to place too much value in a specific, you know, forty time, or, or a bench. If you look at it in an isolated and say, "Oh, this guy ran a four-two-five, you know, a four-three, that means he's going to be a great football player." No, you, you look at it in the collective. What what can he do with that speed? That's why I always like hurdlers better than sprinters, because a hurdler is someone that has speed, but with leap and balance and you know all the things attendant to what you've got to do if you say a wide receiver or, or a db i heard one db coach so i don't want a four three guy at a at, at corner because when he makes a mistake he gets way out of position okay so <laughs> one of those things where you, you have to look at attendant to the other things the other physical skills and then make the decision um are they do they, do they add up, you know, does the sum of the parts equal the whole, so to speak? Because there's a lot of guys with individual – how many guys go to the combine and just blow it out of the gym? And all of a sudden you get all excited about this guy, but then you get him on the field, and for whatever reason, it doesn't translate onto the football field. So, yeah, you have to look at it in the cumulative. All right, well, let me ask you this, because you've been there uh, during the Combine. Uh, you know, we read about these test scores and these tests and these things that they give the players, and they're poking and prodding uh, physically and all this kind of stuff. Are, at the end of the day, 
Do you feel like teams are getting a real read on a guy's heart or drive or will to be great or will to be win? Or is that not caught up with the physical part yet? Yeah, it's all like the anything that has to do with analytics. It It is a resource and a tool to help you make the cumulative decision. You're right. We have, with all the personality testing and the wonderlick and all this, are, 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 you, are we really better at quantifying, okay, if this guy has this score or gives this answer, it, it's simply a matter of a data point that says, well, a majority of guys that scored X did so-and-so. So you certainly factor that into the equation. But again, it's, it's that art versus science. You know, how much of my, my institutional knowledge of what we're looking at says that, okay, this is an indicator. This is, I always say the combine is a place, it's the great thing about the combine is make me go back to the tape. I mean, one of three things happen. You go in, you've looked at the tape on a player, you now look at him in shorts running around and you're going, yeah, that's the athlete I thought I saw on film. So it re revalidates what I saw in the film. Or it's, yeah, no, the, uh, this guy, he, that's the kind of athlete I expected because he doesn't look to be a very good football player. The best part about the combine for me was when I saw a player and it made me go back and look at the tape. Boy, this guy's a really good athlete. I, I need to go back and look at the tape, some more tape, because I didn't see this as a player, but this is a pretty good athlete. Maybe I need to look at more tape. So the idea was, yeah, that, that the tests or whatever that give you an indicator, but it ultimately it, does it push you back into going back into the eyes-on, hands-on evaluation to maybe get you to reevaluate and look at that. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. Um, I, want, I want to talk about the the Ravens um, and, and what happened to them over the weekend, Brian. That, that did not. That was not reflective in any form or fashion on multiple fronts. Whether it was the way they handled themselves during the game, uh, whether it was the production and the execution in the game, what happened to Baltimore? I think you had two very good teams and Baltimore at home and I, what I think the better team, I mean, if you want to quantify it bit by bit, there again, here's an example. The sum of the parts didn't equal the whole because Kansas City won the game and deserved to win the way they played. I think what you saw was a cascading set of events from their first three and out to then Kansas City chewing up six minutes of the clock uh, for a touchdown Ravens came back and had a touchdown, but then Kansas City responded to that, holding onto the ball for almost 10 minutes and a touchdown. So now all of a sudden, Baltimore's in this cycle where, where they're used to time of being ahead on time of possession, controlling the clock. They're now behind the curve a little bit. Now, it was early, but it was also Patrick Mahomes. And I think what you saw was a Lamar Jackson and an offense that felt like, even though they were only down 14 to seven, and and then, you know, and then what happens is they fumbled, you know, they throw an interception. Uh, nobody did anything, basically, the rest after that initial flurry of scoring. And in the second half, the defense rebounded a little bit, yep. obviously. Nobody did anything until what? The interceptions, as usual, what loses the game. Turnovers, intercept, fumble, and interception. So I think what you saw early was Baltimore getting caught in, in a bad rhythm of the game, unfamiliar territory, tried to keep up, 
And that's what led to the ineffectiveness for them. And, and they didn't get to play the game they were capable of playing and couldn't measure up. And then you see the emotion and the dumb mistakes. And, you know, that, that started cascading in. You know, Brian, uh, around here, I had made the comment a year ago. Uh, the Bengals had been to back-to-back -back AFC championship games. They had been to a, a Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, look, uh, expectations are huge. But I had made the comment that, uh, look, if, if Joe Burrow in the next two, three years, now this year was a wash because he got hurt, but if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, you and I both know that narrative starts out there, right? It, the narrative is going to start whether it's fair or unfair. I think we're at a point now where these guys have been around long enough, Lamar, Burrow, Josh Allen, they can't get out of their own conference, Brian. They can't get out of their own con Now, Burrow did two years ago. But, I mean, that narrative now is becoming louder and louder for those guys. You agree with that? Uh, it's absolutely real. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, the coaches and the players, you know, they, they can try to say, well, I don't, I don't acknowledge that. I don't see it that way. Well, yeah, frankly, you don't get a vote. Okay, because that, that is going to be the narrative. And, you know, Peyton Manning dealt with that for a yeah. long time, you know, in terms of, you know, couldn't big the big one. And, and, and until you do, and here's the hard part with it, with all those guys, it doesn't matter on a day-to-day -day basis how well you do and win during the course of the season. And even in the playoffs, unless it leads to that Super Bowl win, that narrative is going to continue literally up to the minute that you finish as a Super Bowl champion. And that's a fact. It's what you got to deal with. You can, and there's a lot, and you're right. Is it probably not fair? No, because you know, the hardest thing to do is to separate the play of a quarterback from what's going on around. So how much has to do with the team and the structure and defense? Like the other day with the Ravens, you know, uh, uh, the defense was brilliant, but in the first, you know, the first quarter of the game, uh, Kansas City went up and down the field. And that put them in a profile that they were unfamiliar with, uncomfortable mm -hmm. with, and keep up. Now, is that that's not Lamar Jackson's fault, but at the end of the day, yeah, you still gotta step up and you still gotta you still gotta counter that. And they didn't. And until they do, Josh Allen's the same way. Um, you, you know, yeah, it's that that criticism is gonna be that observation is gonna be there. Okay, uh, last couple things I want to ask you about. Um, I read where the other day, first two years in the league, the most wins by a quarterback in the postseason now belongs to Brock Purdy, even though he started and did not finish the NFC Championship game a year ago. He's won more than Brady. He's won more than Burrow. He's won more than everybody ever in his first two years. Yet there are so many people out there that, that are just like, you know what, I'm not buying it. Whether it's, you know, they're saying he's a system quarterback, he's a game manager, he is what, you know, all these different things. He's got great players around him, he's got a great head coach and a play caller. All those things may be true. But is Brock Purdy getting too much credit, not enough credit? How do you see Brock Purdy? Uh, I like Brock Purdy. Uh, and, 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 and really, it's, it comes down to, and it's the same conversation we just had, was um, until you do. And the, the key is he stepped up in all the opportunities up to now, that he's had the capability, did not start well, uh, obviously, in, in the uh, wild card round or in last week. Uh, but this week, 
actually, you know, and he came back and, and, and won helped win the game for them. And then this week, again, same sequence. It wasn't Brock Purdy. It was Detroit just run this thing up and against that great defense that all of a sudden you're in. The, but he then fought back through that. Until he does that in a Super Bowl, those observations are going to be there. I think that is there. I like his game. Uh, certainly, he, he again, separating a quarterback from what's going on around him. He's surrounded by incredible talent with a well-structured system and a really good defense. So, yeah, he should be successful. He has gone above and beyond that and shown that he can deliver. But until he wins a Super Bowl, and even for Brock Purdy, even if he does, it's still going to be, well, yeah, he's on such a great team, okay? Well, I don't know. You know, Troy Aikman uh, is in the Hall of Fame um, with with kind of less than Hall of Fame yep. numbers yep. because of unprecedented winning uh, and was surrounded by a pretty darn good team. Uh, and that doesn't say, I'm not saying Troy doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. He does, but I'm saying those were the circumstances. So Brock Purdy is going to have to work past that. I think he has the capability of it. There's a calm about this guy. I think he can deliver. He has shown that. Now he's got to continue to do it. Um, uh, but no, I, I think it's there. But that criticism is going to be there until until he wins it. And even after he wins it, he's probably going to have to carry that around a little bit. All right. Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, and 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 I, you know, I've kind of stepped back and listened to a lot of different opinions and and people who I respect their opinion. Not the guys that are looking for clicks on all these yelling and screaming shows and all that kind of thing, but people that really have a good feel for coaching and understanding momentum and all this kind of thing. So the Dan Campbell thing, the more and more I go back and I think about that game and I look through the play-by-play -play of it and everything else, you know, when, when they're up 24-7 to at halftime and the Niners get the ball and they go down the field and they kick a field goal, Kyle Shanahan says after the game, that wasn't good. We needed a touchdown there. Yeah, we got points, but we really needed a touchdown there. Okay, so now Detroit gets a ball back, and they go down the field. It's a 14-point game. Right now, he's got this fourth down play. If he kicks a field goal there, forget everything else that happened the rest of the game. I'm curious your opinion or your thoughts on this, and I'm not asking you to bury Dan Campbell or not bury Dan Campbell or side with him or whatever. But the more I looked at that game, I thought to myself, okay, you went to the locker room up 17. They just cut it to 14. If you kick it and make it 17 again, which now you're more than halfway through the third quarter, you're down to a quarter and a half, and they've not made up any ground on you and it's still a three-score game. I thought there is where the game perhaps could have been won or lost. You know, and, and those, those are all legitimate conversations and observations. The problem is, particularly during the course of the game, it's like going back to the conversation, how early do you go for a two-point? You know, there's the chart that says, here's a point differential and where you are in the game or whatever, and whether that's a smart thing to do or not. Um, Again, if 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 he and and as we always talk about Tom, it's always looked through the prism of if it if it didn't work, you're an That's idiot, right? And if you're the you're the you you know you're 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 brilliant. Had they gotten that fourth down and had led to the score, we'd be talking about boy, what a, what a bold move, what a great play, you know, what a great decision by Dan Campbell. Um, but it didn't work. 
okay? And and ultimately they lost the game. So obviously it was a bad decision. I, I go back, I always think back to the to the onside kick when New Orleans and and uh, uh, Indiana or was it uh, Indy uh, when when they did the onside right, kick? Right. Sean did the onside kick. Brilliant move because it led to the cascading events where they end up winning a Super Bowl. If that onside kick had failed, same decision, same thought process had failed, and they'd lost the game, it would go down as the biggest bonehead decision in the history of football. So when I hear the conversation, because I've been listening it all week about Dan Campbell, look, this is who they are. They're going to be aggressive. You know, that's his personality. They had the game in control because they were aggressive and they had gone for it on certain times. If 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 he had if he had uh, gone for the field goal or not gone for it on fourth down, been the smart thing, and San Francisco had continued to come back and rally and win the game would be saying, well, okay, they lost, he lost his nerve. He didn't stay with who they were. He wasn't aggressive enough. He was sitting on the lead. You know, so you, you can look at it in a number of different ways. It, it's what they do. Um, the fact that it didn't work, uh, unfortunate for them, because like everybody, every, you know, everybody's kind of pulling from Detroit. Um, but I think to criticize that he lost it in the big moment, that he cost them the game, I, I don't know that that's a fair criticism. Okay, fair enough. Brian, we thank you as always for your time, my friend. Have a great rest of your day. All right, man. All right, buddy. Brian Billick, Super Bowl winning head coach for the Baltimore Ravens. And, and, and look, Casey, I think you laughed at me when I brought up that conversation about the narrative around these quarterbacks when I said it a year ago, that that conversation was going to start about Burrow if he doesn't win it here in the next two or three or four years. You and a lot of guys were all over me in the chat when I made that comment. That is reality 101, whether people like it or not. Fair, unfair. Life's not fair. But Dan Marino, every single time, his name is brought up. Every single time. When you start talking about the great quarterbacks in the history of football, and nobody could throw the football like Marino except maybe Elway, just as far as pure throwing it. Nobody could throw it like Marino. He had weapons everywhere. But what's the first thing they say about him when you start talking? Yeah, one of the all-time greats, but... But what? Elway won the Super Bowl. Even Aikman, he's exactly... I mean, go compare the stats to Aikman and Marino. Now, they're both in the Hall of Fame. And they played on very different types of team with a very different type of philosophy. When the Cowboys got the ball inside the 10, all Aikman did was turn around and hand it off to the all-time leading touchdown scorer in the history of the NFL, all-time leader, Emmitt Smith. That's what they did. That was their style of play. But his stats don't come close to Marino. And there's no debate in a lot of people's minds that when it came to playing the position of quarterback, Marino was better than Aikman. Mm -hmm. But Aikman, you know, everybody puts him in that whole conversation. And the thing they always say about uh, Marino is he never won the Super Bowl. And they're going to start saying the same things about this trio of incredible quarterbacks in the AFC right now. And I don't put Herbert in this group because he hadn't won a playoff game. But Lamar's won a playoff game. Allen's won playoff games. We know Burrow has won. He won four of them. He was a leader before Brock Purdy. 
So, but until you win that big one and the more time goes by, that's what's going to happen with Burrow and all of these guys. And I can't imagine, the one thing that stuck out to me right there that he said is, you know, look, these guys are paid tens, hundreds of millions, close to a billion dollars a year over the course of their career if you're these big-time quarterbacks. So nobody's feeling sorry about it for any of them. They're not feeling sorry for themselves. But boy, I, I sat there. One thing that really stood out to me that Brian just said was, when that narrative starts, fair or unfair, when that starts, it is like it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. I mean, good Lord, you're right. playing 17 right. weeks, and man, your team wins 13 or 14 games, and you're the league MVP. And everybody's saying, yeah, 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 give me. Look at Lamar. I mean, just look what has happened to this guy in the last three years. He wins an MVP. He gets hurt a couple of years in a row. Now that narrative starts. He can't stay healthy, right? right? He doesn't travel with his team to come watch him late in the season last year, that final regular season game, right? His teammates are kind of wondering what's going on here, right? Is he just doing it because of the contract, right? All of these things were, were said about Lamar Jackson, right? He comes back this year, leads his team to the best record in the NFL. They were the best team in the NFL. He's going to win his second MVP in his first six seasons in the league. But what's everybody talking about in Baltimore now? Can he win the big one? I think, and again, maybe <laughs> Dan Marino played in one Super Bowl. Joe Burrow has already played in one Super Bowl. Joe Burrow. Dan Marino did in his second year, just like Joe, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's correct. 1985. Uh, I, 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 I'm not on the, I'm not on the train of winning Super Bowls makes or breaks your legacy. I don't think that's. I don't think that's true because I, it certainly can make your legacy. I don't think it can break it because there's so many other factors that determine uh, you getting to that point. I think your team, A, the players around you has to be good, and, and B, uh, the schedule and, and the teams that you play against on a consistent basis uh, certainly can prevent you from getting there. Patrick Mahomes, and we've said it on this show many times, is pretty much – cemented himself as the second greatest quarterback of all time. If he wins the Super Bowl, that's that's no question. And he's in, what, year six, year seven? Um, I, I, if you look at Joe Burrow, and he doesn't win a Super Bowl ever in his career, as long as, as long as the Bengals are relevant, as long as the Bengals are competing, I don't think it's a knock on Joe Burrow if he goes his entire career without winning one. I think the <clears> narrative <throat> will be there. Right, I think, that's, pe I think that's people, what Tom's saying. Yeah, I think people will always talk about it because that's what sports is, right? You, 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 people diminish LeBron's legacy because he's, what, four of ten in, in championships or whatever he is? So I, I think the narrative certainly can be there. But if it's, if it's up to me and, and I'm the one determining uh, who gets the narrative of, of not being able to get to a Super Bowl, winning Super Bowl, I don't think, I don't think quarterbacks uh, – I don't think it's the same thing. As, I, don't think, I, I don't think it's the same thing. Because, because if, if you look at the NBA, again, it's, it's – there's five players in the court, and the best player can right. carry you all the way. In the NFL, it's just vastly different. It's vastly, vastly, vastly different. Yeah. And I would Talk say the, the one difference between the, the trio of guys that you mentioned, it was Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Joe Burrow. The difference is the only one quarterback out of that group that actually could win a Super Bowl at this current moment that we can actually say 
has a chance is Joe Burrow because he's actually been to the Super Bowl. He's actually beaten Patrick Mahomes head-to-head multiple times. The other guys, not so much. Yep. That that's where I, you lost me with the narrative talk because there is there is a chance he's done he's actually gone to the Super Bowl he was right there seconds within winning a Super Bowl now, granted he didn't win the Super Bowl yeah but the other guys haven't even gotten close those well, guys deserve the narrative way more than Joe Burrow deserves the narrative but of course the narrative will always still be there regardless if they. The only way you can change it is by winning. One. That's right. See, this is, where right. I, this is where I disagree with the, like, they, they don't, like, Tom is absolutely right about the reality of it is that there is this narrative. Like it or not, there is the narrative that when you are the quarterback, when you're the head of a franchise, and you've had a lot of regular season success, if you don't get over that hump, if you don't win that Super Bowl, there's always that question, right? There's always like, this guy can't get it done. And all it takes is one. That's right. Because you look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers, won a, won a Super Bowl very early in his career, never went back. But we don't talk about Aaron Rodgers. Ah, he can't get it done. Drew Brees won a Super Bowl, won one, had a lot of great teams yep. in New Orleans, never got back. But we don't talk about it because he got that one. It literally only takes one Super Bowl and your legacy is cemented. Now, I will push back, and I'll, I'll take up the sword against this, that when we start doing this this conversation about Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, saying that they can't get over that hump, and we'll throw Joe Burrow in that too, is because they're playing, they've played in the conference that has the, the greatest quarterback formerly in Tom Brady, and one of the one of the greatest quarterbacks that's certainly trending yep. to get up to that Tom Brady status, right? Yep. He, I think he's already cemented himself as a top five quarterback. If he wins again, he's certainly in top three, and he can keep on going. And he's he's trending in the same trajectory as Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. I I'm not gonna crucify Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen because they can't beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I will not do it. I looked it up. You look at the NFC. The last ten NFC winners. 10 different quarterbacks have come out. 10 different quarterbacks. In the AFC, only four. And those four, three of them, borderline, or not borderline, are surefire Hall of Famers and three of the five greatest quarterbacks of all times in Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Patrick Mahomes. Yep. The fourth being, obviously, Joe Burrow. It's such, it, it, I'm just not going to crucify Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen because they can't get past Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, let's take a timeout here real quick. Uh, we still have about 35 minutes left in the program. We need to get to a little college basketball tonight. Yep. Got UC and Xavier both playing at home. UC on the road at West Virginia. Xavier at home against St. John's. Uh, do we have a mailbag? Do we, we do. Have, we do, and we have a top 10. What do we have? Or a top five? What do we, we buy, have today? We buy or sell. No, buy no, or no sell. top five. We'll okay, buy or sell. All right, all of that and more coming up. Casey, take it away, my man. All right, the Bengals Bearcats report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work from home computing modules to improve efficiency and. I think he wants to say productivity. So, productivity. Productivity. <laughs> productivity yeah visit encore.tech the path to innovation begins here and let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water right here Pawnee water 
made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. Uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water, and some say the best tasting water in the world. Visit Pawnee Water at P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com. See where you can buy this great tasting water. Get some coffee from UDF. Swish it down with some Pawnee Water. Swish it. Yep, swish it down and get your technology solutions from Encore. Nick Swisher. We have Box Lunch later today, hosted by Elliot. I saw his uh, list of things we're going to talk about. It's going to be a great great show. It's it's a great list. Um, In order to watch that, you got to become a member. So we have a $10 membership that gets you access to pretty much all of our live streams, membership live streams, and uh, uh, extra content. And then uh, we have a, a leader of men. Uh, category as well that gets you discounts and other things in the works moving forward um we have uh, actually we don't have we need likes and subscribes yeah, yeah. from you guys in the chat for those of you that are new watching uh if you want to please do we would appreciate it, it helps us grow helps us get into the algorithm and uh, yeah, we really appreciate your your help and support, guys. Yeah, bring the camera over. Yeah, yeah. Come, hey guys. Um, yeah, like Casey said, if you don't subscribe, go ahead and subscribe. There's a little bell. Looks like a bell. You hit that. Ding dong. You hit that. Ding dong. You get notifications when we are live, even though you know we were live every day, ten to twelve. Ding dong. We also got some chatterbox red. They went dong, live ding. last night. They're trying to. Fi- I'm still trying to figure out who Jan Gomez is, but uh, like the <laughs> like the stream. Dong, if you guys haven't seen on X.com. Chatterbox bets. What's the at for that? At Cbox bets. At Cbox bets. Ding dong. We have put out eight cards in a week. Ding eight dong. Da- in, in nine days, we put out eight cards. We have swept the card three Ding times. Dong. Sixteen and eight overall. We swept last night. We're on fire. We're on fire. And fuego. And fuego, say, as they say in uh, elsewhere. But yeah, there was, I- a, there was a, a high school game one time, and a kid that shot a shot's name was Diego. Diego was in Fuego. And he hit two threes in consecutive things. I said Diego in Fuego. How about that? Yeah. That's pretty good stuff. One thing I will say is that I'm borderline – like, I like the NBA. I like betting the NBA sometimes. Last night, I was actually getting a little scared. I'm like, out of all the times an NBA team doesn't, like, sub their guys out when they're losing by more than 20 points – the Lakers decide to keep LeBron in until like three minutes left in the game. I'm just sitting there nervous as can be. Well, they ended up subbing him out when it, uh, when it was too far away, too gone for them to be able to come back and win. But yeah, that's, that's the life of betting the NBA. I guess you just never know what you're going to get. NBA, NBA yeah. betting's a sham, but it's wh- tough. Whatever. Well, speaking of betting. Oh, when I came in this morning, uh, I'm, I'm talking with, with Casey and, and Reed, and, uh, and the point was made, Elliot, uh, that apparently, I don't know where these picks of theirs are being given out. At, chat, at C-Box Bets, Chatterbox Bets. C-Box yeah. Bets. Okay, and apparently, they, what would you say, uh, uh, 16 and 8 is the record in those? 16 tw- and 8, Tom. But they say you're not taking those picks. You don't believe in them, and you're missing out on a chance to win some big cash. True or false? True, but here's the thing, Tom. True, I, but. True, but. Always. Right. True, but. True, but. I think that I am a jinx when it comes to gambling. I think that mm. if I'm on their picks, they will all lose. I rode the past several picks. Uh, the past, I rode every pick for the past, I think, three games or for three days. It worked on Sunday. It worked on Super Bowl Sunday. 
but it didn't, or championship, conference, whatever, conference championship Sunday. It didn't work the other two days, uh, Friday and then uh, Thursday, I think, before it didn't, it didn't work. But I'm trying. I, I'm, I'm trying to ride. I didn't ride yesterday. They all won. Could I be making more money? Sure. I know other people are riding them with us, and that's fine. That's great for you. I'm just trying to save everybody, Tom, letting Reed win money and let Casey win money. That's my most important priority. Being a team guy. I'm a team guy. That's right. I'm, I'm a leader. No I in team. I think I, I just made that up. That's No, that was you. That was you. Yeah, it was. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, I'm going to start calling him a top because the spin zone that he throws mm. on, on these. Damn, good save on that one. Spin zone. Uh, O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly, spin zone. Bill O'Reilly. No spin zone. We'll Go do ahead. it live. Go ahead. We'll do it live. Yeah, I, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think what's, what's going to eventually happen is I'm going to, I'm going to start losing all my bets, and they're going to ask me to stop doing it. That's what's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. The fact that we're so hot right now, it's scary. It, it, it is scary. So I asked one of you guys, and Reed, I think you were the one that came up with the answer. If you would have have started with a hundred dollars. Yep. Through this 24-pick run, yep. you would roughly be plus what? Like 800 bucks. Boy, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Be up a lot more if, if Elliot didn't bet bets with huge juice, but it's whatever. <laughs> and, then they, and then this is what and happens, Tom. Then, they, then he shames me for trying to give See, the there's no winners. good in that. There's no good. There's no good in shaming, making people feel guilty, whatever. There's no, there's no good terrible. in that. It's terrible. It is. It's terrible. It is. Do you want to do a mailbag real quick, Casey? Because this pertains to the NBA. I, All I, right, I, uh, Lindsay, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Crank it up. We just got, we got a, letter. a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. I wonder who it's from. from. Thank you, Lindsay. You're welcome. I wonder who it is from. Let's let's find it in here. Let's find it. Oh, we got it. So let me adjust, and then we get this guy. Okay. Here Looks we like go. The same piece of paper every day. Huh? It looks like the same piece of paper. What do you mean? Day. Well, it's all coming in on the same paper off the no. printer. Yeah, it's the same. What yeah. do you mean? I, I don't know. I don't understand what that was. Here we go. So today's mailbag is from Philadelphia. Ooh. It nice. Comes, it comes from sweet little Joel uh, from Mr. Embiid's class. Now, Joel <laughs> is putting up historic numbers in his third grade class. He does everything the right way. He studies hard, he helps his classmates, and his GPA has broken the third grade record in the state of, what is that? Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania yes. Thank you. Uh, his GPA is 7.8. The issue with Joel is that he has missed 50% of the school year. Mm. He stays out too late at night at the nightclubs, and, and if he misses five <laughs> more classes, he will receive an automatic flunk and will bring shame to his family. Do you think what is happening with Joel Embiid and, and on the Philadelphia 76ers is more than fair. He is averaging 36 points and 11 boards, but he's missed 12 games. Tom, if he misses five more games, he will become ineligible to win the MVP. And this has been an issue with, in, in the NBA for quite some time, this load management nonsense. Yep. So if you don't play the games, you're not eligible for the MVP. But people have been saying that despite missing all these games, he sh still should be able to win it. Uh, Tom, before you answer this question, just know that Joel Embiid actually got hurt yesterday. He's going in for an MRI. Yeah, he left the game to check out his knee. Okay, so. but is it the knee that's been sort of plaguing him all year long? Is that the issue? I don't pay enough attention in the NBA. Well, I it's mean, been, is he just miss games because of workload? Is he miss games because he's really hurt? What? It's been the knee as of lately, but I don't know what what the reasons were at the beginning of the year. I, and this is and this is an issue in the NBA. It, that sometimes they'll take a game off. Yeah. The NBA is try, has been trying to stop it. 
but I, I, I still think it's uh, it's a big time problem. Um, and Joel Embiid, obviously, if, if he's if he's done, if he's got a serious knee injury, then then it is what it is. But if it's because he's just trying to rest, uh, I, I do think you should be ineligible to well, win. Well, I, I agree with that 100%. I, I think there has to be some credit given to the guys who are out there playing all the time. That's true. Um, I just saw that thing uh, real quick about Embiid. If you go back to his career starting in 2016, mm-hmm. okay, these are the games played. Now, remember, they play 82 games a year in the NBA. Yep. The regular season. Now, the postseason is really long. Very. Okay, so I get maybe cutting down their minutes. I get that for the big stars, the Embiid's, the LeBron's, the whoever, right? Really? Steph Curry's of the world, whatever. But here are the games played. And again, remember, it's an 82-game schedule. Embiid in his career, 31, 63, 64, 51, 51. Now, the last couple of years, 68 and 66, right? The best by far and, and, and by far the most minutes per game of any season is his career. 34-35. But now this year, as you just mentioned, averaging 34 points a game, 11 rebounds a game. Heck, he's averaging six assists a game. That's right. Is he the best player in the league? He's probably the best player in the league. He's up there. He's, he's right up there. there. That's right. On any given night, he can be the best player in the league. Yep. All right. Um... But if you don't play, you know, you, you probably shouldn't get the awards. I'm not, and I'm not saying it's his fault if it's his, if it's his you know, chronic knee problem. I feel bad for the guy. I really feel bad for him, and I feel bad for the fans who spend money to go watch him, and then they show up, and it's maybe the only game they can go to all year long, and he can't play. And I know one of those games last week had happened. It was a late scratch. And, it's, you know, and it feels like a lot of the time that's what the NBA does. I know Giannis, if he ever misses a game, it's usually always a very late scratch. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's precaution. But right. at the same time, you are a professional sports league, and, and you need your athletes to play. You how, need them to play. And that's why I say in baseball, for example, you how know, I always them? tell fans all the time, if you're the guy that can afford one or two games a year, and I know that planning is a big part of life and all those kinds of things, but if you're somebody that lives in greater Cincinnati or any other town, uh, and I shouldn't say any other town because in some places they're selling out every baseball game, right? But let's say you wanted to go see Joey Votto play. Lineups are being announced now, uh, now, announced now on the internet at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Managers have those things, and it's going out on the internet. If you really wanted to take your daughter or your son or just you or your wife or whatever to go see Joey Votto play or Mike Trout play or whoever it is, right. I mean, if you, can, if you can wait to make the decision, I always encourage people to wait because you just don't know. That's true. I, I don't know what the NBA is going – can do about it right because the the teams realized a long time ago that the regular season doesn't really matter you get in the postseason that's right and if you got a championship caliber team it doesn't matter if you're the one seed or the eight seed if you get in there and you're you're healthy in the postseason you can rattle off and win and win them all and win and win well, the, look at the lakers last year i mean they didn't made a great run they were the eight seed right it's it, it literally all that matters is that you are healthy you make the postseason which they have so many teams in the postseason that the bar is so incredibly low that once they get in there, they can make it. In, in all honesty, the only thing the NBA can do is in where the MLB and the NFL are expanding their postseason. If they want their, their superstars to play regularly, 
they've got to they've got to shrink their postseason. They've got to, because if you make it to where what, what is it like twenty teams now make the postseason? Yeah, yeah I think twenty out of the thirty-two teams. If you make it, you cut that in half to where there's ten teams. Yeah, but you, we you, know that has no chance. Right, of right. I, I understand that. But if they want their players to play in the regular season, they've that, that's the only way you can do it. It's the only way you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I always think about, you know, that when, when, when the airlines started charging you for your bags, right? And they said, right. well, once we get through this energy crisis and the price of oil and all that stuff, we'll, we, that'll go away. It ain't going away. When yeah. the NBA's getting more money to have more rounds of playoffs and expanding it, they're not going to all of a sudden say, nah, you know what, that extra $800 million, Nah, we're getting rid of it. The the MLB gets killed for how long its season is. The NBA season's longer. Yeah, but true. But because of the the um, because of the length of the playoffs, there's an urgency to the postseason. Whereas the baseball playoffs, I mean, you're playing 162 games. NBA's playing half that, right? Right. In virtually the same amount of time, you got lots of off days and some back-to-backs and all that kind of thing. But, you know, it's just the everyday, you're right about baseball, but at least when the basketball opening round starts. Now, you may say it's too long and it's boring and I don't care. This team was four games under 500. But there is something to be said, like you said, for just getting in. Because once it starts, you never know. That's correct. Like, if you've got a championship-caliber team, like uh, – I, I, this is, I barely watch the NBA, but like the Nuggets. I know the Nuggets won last year, right? Yep. The Nuggets can get in as the eight seed. Yep. And they'll, they'll be championship contenders just like everybody else. I mean, I mean, like if – I don't know if the NFL will ever get like that to where – I mean, there, there's really – they play so few of games that all they have to – like if, if the Chiefs just go like, all right, we already clinched our spot. Let's just, let's just sit around and, and, and wait and rest everybody, make sure they're healthy. They'll never get like that. But as for the length of the NBA season, there's only three months in the calendar year that doesn't have an NBA game in it. Three months. Only three. Yeah. The rest of the nine will have an NBA game in it. It goes from October to the end of June. Crazy. Reminiscent of the MLS. That's right. MLS is starting up soon, right, Casey? It is. It's starting, I believe. Well, they've already started preseason, but the actual like games, games, I think start February twenty second. You have got to be kidding. No, Nothing right. like a little it's, February. It's right after Super Bowl, Tom, you going, baby. Tom, you going to TQL in February? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go in June. <laughs> or they might be off that month. I don't know. Yeah, this might, is an Olympics year. Month. I don't. By the way, will soccer be affected? I mean, all these other things go on that take them away from the regular season. Um, will will soccer be affected because of the Olympics? Do they play soccer in the Olympics? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Will they? So will will? Yes. There there will be probably some sort of break for the MLS at some point for the Olympics. Yeah. So another break. So the Olympic break, and then there's, well, no, there's I, no, uh, oh, there's I, no uh, Lamar Cup tournament two this year, and all there that. Might, they might not stop. I, I have to go back and look at it. There might not be enough guys that leave for yeah, well, it to the best matter, American but, players, Tom. Unfortunately, they don't play in America, so that's probably the biggest issue. Well, there is one guy that plays on the men's team that plays for FC Cincinnati. That's pretty good, but we won't get into that. Okay. All right. Um, Let's see here. All right, you got buy or sell. Got buy or sell. Right, what do you want to talk about? College basketball games. It's up to you, Tom. It's your, your show. All right, I mean, it's buy or sell like super timely 
No, it's it's where about, we can it's wait on until tomorrow. It's, it's, it's we can do it tomorrow. Bowl, it's about NFL. We can do it. We can do it. Yeah. Later All right. Well, then let's talk a little bit about. No, you know what? Let's do it. All, All right. right let's, let's, go. Go. Is a <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All Here right. we go. You got the you got the th- the prompts ready, Casey. He's got it. He's got it. Well, you got the buttons. Oh yeah. Come on. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. There, there we go. Is. Let's there go. Is. Jim Craig. Boy, don't listen to him. Go ahead. He's got good. He's got good stock tips. Oh yeah. Get your stock tips. Yeah. All right. Um, Patrick Mahomes. Is top three quarterback all time with a Super Bowl win. Tom, you buying or are you selling? Top three all time with a Super Bowl win. Um, I'm selling. Sell, sell, sell. Sell. I think he gets another one. Now, a little four. different ball game. Right. Yeah. I am buying, and I've never bought anything uh, harder and faster. Buy, buy, buy. That's absolutely true. Uh, this would be his third Super Bowl victory. Third Super Bowl win. Uh, and he's already surpassed pretty much everybody in, in, in playoff victories, despite having an extended postseason, yada, yada, yada. This guy is one of the greatest of all time. And by the end of his career, he will be the greatest of all time. So mm-hmm. this will be, be, be another notch. He's number two after he wins this one. I am buying this one. Patrick Mahomes already has as many playoff victories as Peyton Manning which is absolutely incredible to see yep. through his first six years. And, yeah, I think that he – I thought he was already a top five guy before this playoff run just based off of, you know, his, his early career and, and what I see him on the field. I'm absolutely buying that if he wins, he's top three. Only Joe Montana and Tom Brady are currently ahead of him. Okay. Yeah, I also agree with that sentiment. I think if he wins, there's a conversation if he's better than Montana. And I know they're different eras, but – and he would have one last Super Bowl, but the the way that Patrick Mahomes plays and how good he is on the field, I think is unmatched. I don't think there's been another quarterback to win that many that plays like Mahomes. So yeah, I'm totally buying that. Bye, bye, bye. He'd be top three. All right. Okay. All right. What's up next? The Fighting Chris Spielmans will be back to an NFC Championship. Do you think this is a flash in the pan, Tom? Or do you think this Detroit Lions team is here to stay? Well, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna be a good team. They've got most of their guys back. They have, if I'm not mistaken, I saw the other day. I think the Bengals have the fifth or sixth most uh, money under the cap. Uh, the Lions are right there with the Bengals, uh, so they can go out and plug some of those holes. Mm-hmm. I love their style of play. Um, they've got to improve clearly on the defensive side. That's what separates the Niners. The you know, in the secondary, in, in, in the secondary, yes, they've got it. And I think they're linebackers, the Anzalonians, and they, you know, I, I, they, I think they got to get a little better there too. But um, I'm going to sell this one. I, the, if you're talking sell, about sell, NFC sell. Championship sure. game, we'll, we'll make that um, because um, I think they will win their division next year. I think they'll be back in the playoffs. I think they'll get a home game again next year. But when I look to next year and I start thinking about some of the teams that have a chance to bounce back and get better and are going to be better, Dallas, Philadelphia, some of the other teams around, uh, clearly the 49ers. Um, yeah, I'm selling. All right. Ellie Roop? I'm going to sell. I, I respect sell, sell, sell. Detroit, respect to the Lions, respect to what they've done this year. Uh, I do like Dan Campbell. I think he's a funny guy. Uh, but I do not think Detroit will be back. I think it's it's, it's too difficult in the NFC on, on the top side of things. The 49ers, I think the Cowboys are always going to be frauds, but I still think the Cowboys are a better team than the Lions. So, uh, and, and as the Packers continue to go as the NFC North uh, works on its talent, I don't think it's as bad as, as, as Reed says it's going to be. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the Lions, this is this was their shot, and they missed it. I, I... I'm saying I'm buying this all the way. I think the right. Detroit Lions will be back. I like I like pretty much everything they have. Casey, I mean Casey beat it into my head. 
I gotta give Casey. He's a heck of a salesman. Uh, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Sam Laporta. They're 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 edge rushers. Aiden Hutchinson. They've got a lot of young talent. Running game. They've got yeah. They've got Jameer Gibbs. Like they've got a lot of young talent. And in the NFC, where there isn't those guys like Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. There's some good quarterbacks in the NFC. Not quite to what the AFC has. But I think that it, it, it's it's wide open. I think the Lions will be back. I think Dan Campbell is a guy you can rally behind. Yep. Yeah, I'm buying this all the way. Okay, case. Ooh, uh, NFC Championship is really hard yes, to predict. Um, I do think they have a, a decent chance. When I think about the teams that are in their way, I think they're on the downswing. Like, I think of the Cowboys. I don't think that they're going to be as good as they were last year. I don't think the Eagles are going to be as good as they were last year. Uh, 49ers, we, we will see because of the cap casualties that they're going to have to mm -hmm. figure out. I don't know, man. The Lions, on the other hand, they have lots of cap space. They have the ability to keep everyone on offense together, not to mention potentially adding some pieces. Well, yeah, a lot and, of money to spend. And on, on defense, I mean, they've got the guys there. Aiden Hutchinson, that's that's the key piece there. They've got Brian Branch. They've got the linebackers figured out. Ali McNeil. Like, th those guys, to me – I think uh, they've got a really good ch good chance. It's just so hard to make it to the championship it again. Really is. Uh, I'll I'll go ahead and buy because okay. I'm I'm high Hit on the it. Lions. I think that that uh, bye, bye, bye. that roster is really darn good. Like I said, they're the mini version of the 49ers. So younger uh, version. Younger version. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. We'll keep it going. Let's keep it going. Um, we've we've thrown his name around a few times in this show, and he played in the AFC Championship. Lamar Jackson will win a Super Bowl. I'm going to buy it. I think Lamar is a damn good quarterback. He's going to be a two-time unanimous MVP. Uh, I, I think the guy's good. Despite – now, there is a narrative. We we've, we've talked about narratives, but I think – yeah. Uh, he hasn't played as good in the postseason as he has that's in the regular fair. season. He has not played well in the postseason. And that's a fair gripe. So I, I will say that is a little bit alarming. But saying that, I think when you, when you talk about a league that a quarterback matters so much, and, and he is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, I, I would say he's a top three quarterback in the National Football League. And saying that, I think he would be then due for a Super Bowl eventually in his career. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to I think that the, the key to success is good quarterback play, good coach good coaching in the NFL, and I think that the Baltimore Ravens have that. Lamar Jackson, as you mentioned, is going to be a two-time MVP. There, 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 are more, there are better concerns about Lamar Jackson in the postseason than there are about like a guy like Josh Allen. But all that being said, the Ravens as a franchise have done it before. This is a very successful franchise. They, they draft very well. They have a good head coach. I think that they will be back. I think that at some point when it's all said and done, Lamar Jackson will win an MVP. Um, he's younger than Joe Burrow. People, people don't give that enough credit. So um, I'm buying this. I think Lamar Jackson will win a Super Bowl. Case. Listen, guys. In a year where the AFC was down, lost lots of quarterbacks in this NFL season, a down year for Patrick Mahomes, and a game where they only scored 17 points, they have not been able to win a game in a playoff game where the other team scores more than 13 points, I think the writing's on the wall a little bit. Especially with his health concerns. You never know when he's going to be fully healthy for another season again. He puts himself in harm's way one too many times. I'm not going to completely say it's a 0% chance. I think there's always a chance. But it, it, if he didn't do it this year, when is he going to do it? Right? So, I'm going to say 
No, I don't think he's going to be able to. I'm going to sell. Sell, sell, sell. Sell it because it's going to be really tough for him to get back. There's too much competition in his way. A lot of competition in the AFC. And uh, you don't have much time. You got you to gotta do it when you're young in his with play, his legs. Well, yeah, his they said the same is, things about Peyton Manning. They said the exact same things. I mean, you could have you could have turned back to talk radio in Indianapolis every year losing to Brady, right? What well, mattered? You yeah. could have done the exact same drill, uh, and it took him in terms of age longer than it than 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 where Lamar is right now. I'm factoring in that point. I'm that? factoring in his legs in that equation okay. too for yeah, the His career won't be as long as Peyton Manning's. You can assume just based yeah. off the of play style. But the one thing that Lamar did do this year during the regular season. Now, when the playoffs started, it was different because look, it's winner take all or hit the road. Right. He ran more in the postseason than he did in the regular season. He's gotten to a point now where he's sliding all the time. He doesn't run as much as he used to. He's throwing the ball better. Look. The answer to this question, you ask yourself, does he have the talent to win the Super Bowl? There is no doubt about that. He has it. So the next thing you have to ask is, if that's true, what is the track record of the organization for which he plays? Okay? So, like you pointed out, I mean, if you just base it on track record of the franchise, Allen, Burrow, Jackson, it is night and day, no the franchises, as far as the long-haul success and commitment to excellence. Now, the Bengals have come around in recent years. I give them all the credit in the world. Buffalo has, too. But one thing you can pretty much count on every single year, pretty much count on, is the Ravens are going to be in the mix to make the playoffs. That's not true for the last 30 years for the Bengals or the Bills. So... Uh, just based on buy. That's a buy. Okay. Buy, buy, buy. Okay. All right. We're down to our last few minutes here. Do we have another topic? We have two more. We can make them nice and quick. Um, this one is the Chiefs are currently playing better than the 49ers. I'll say this, Alan. I'll buy. The, the 49ers have not impressed me in their two playoff wins. Uh, the Chiefs have. The Chiefs, I think, have played better competition, and they've uh, pretty much dominated the game, I think, in, in, in both their wins. Eh, maybe not the Bills game, but certainly against the Baltimore Ravens and, and certainly against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, I think the Chiefs are playing better than the 49ers at this very moment. I'm buying. Without question, they are playing better football. It's not even, it's not even remotely close. They've had, the, the 49ers have had to come back in, in both of their games. Right. That, that, that formula is not going to work against Kansas City. Uh, I promise you that. I, I will take the Chiefs playing better football every day of the week. I do not think that it is a slam dunk that the Chiefs are playing better. I mean, they, they've they been great for a first half both yep. times. Um, you get completely shut out a uh, second half, that's not going to win you ball games either. So, I mean, it's just – it's uh, it's a tough one. I think I would give the slight edge to the Chiefs, I guess, because I think their defense has proved more than, than what the 49ers have. And – 49ers defense is what their staple is, and it's looked terrible over this playoff yeah. stretch. So yeah. I'll give it to the Chiefs for now, but I don't think it's a slam dunk. I think it's a lot closer than people think. Chiefs uh, score, Chiefs uh, scored more, more points in the second half against the Bills. Yes. I am I, I'm because of the defense, yes, I think Kansas City overall all around against better competition is playing better, uh, but I don't think that means a damn thing going into the Super Bowl. Nothing. All right. uh, you're, you're actually right. You're, you're right because it is winner take all. These are two great teams, and they're both going to be ready to play. Final buy or sell, Brock Purdy. <laughs> Go ahead and hit it for me, Casey. <laughs> all day, every day. Go ahead. Casey, you can hit it for me too. Sell, sell, sell.
I'm not buying Brock Purdy. So so so. I'm not oh. buying. I'm not buying Brock Purdy yet. If he wins, I, I thought you had to If he wins, heart. if he wins, I'll change. I will change my. If heart. he wins, I will. I will Correct. buy. I will, I will buy. buy. Correct. What What would it take for you to buy? I just told you. He, without him winning, what What sort of performance does he have to winning put up? Super Bowl MVP and on the losing roster? I want him. The only way I'll buy Brock Purdy is if he wins seven Super Bowls. Until Until the seventh Super Bowl, I ain't buying it. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, he's a system quarterback. That's for sure. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. That was the that was the final one. That was well, the he game. has to win six with the 49ers, then he has to leave. Maybe Correct. Go to and Tampa. And then... All right, so would you guys not buy, since you two are in the in the sell mode there That's on yes. Purdy. And based on what you just said, if I heard you right. Right. So are you, would the same, very same thing apply to Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow? No, because even if their stats are better, those three quarterbacks have something that Brock Purdy doesn't, and it's their ability to not be smug and pompous. Brock Purdy very smug. (laughs) Brock Purdy. Can you give me a serious answer on this, please? I'm asking you if you apply that to Brock Purdy, he's got to win the Super Bowl. Fifty-four touchdowns, fifteen picks, all these yards. He's got to do the same thing. His team has more wins. He has more wins as a quarterback his first two years in the league in the postseason than anybody of all time. So you're telling me, I'm just asking you the simple question. They've got to do if, they've if all got to he do the doesn't thing. win, if he is Joe Burrow, does Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen fall under the exact same category? They've all got to do the same thing, Tom. Beat Patrick Mahomes. Be Patrick Mahomes. Well, I'm talking about a Super Bowl. You quantified and qualified. You said you wouldn't buy. We're not talking about. You just said that he had to win a Super Bowl for you to buy. Patrick Mahomes wasn't even in the conversation. I know. You said for you to buy him, he has to win a Super Bowl. And I said, okay, that's fine. No problem. But if you're going to hold him to that criteria, are you going to hold Burrow, Jackson, and Allen to the exact same mm. criteria? Damn. No. You just got caught. I think I have to. I'm going to say yes because I'd look like an idiot if I said no. I'm going to say yes. I, I will hold Brock Purdy and the other three to the same exact standard. Mm. That, that, I, I will do that. Not going to, Tom. Okay. Because <laughs> that would be rational. Tom, let me ask you, can I ask you a question? Of course. Who would you rather have, Brock Purdy or Lamar Jackson, on your team next year? On my team next year, I'd rather have Lamar Jackson. Who would you rather have, Josh Allen or Brock Purdy, on your team next year? Josh Allen, I'd rather have Josh Allen. Joe Burrow or Brock Purdy, on your team I'd next year? I'd rather have Joe Burrow. That's the point. Yes. That's the point. Yeah, again, I mean, like, I'm not saying Brock, and, and, and the whole point of this is, is, and Reed and I have taken this shtick to the next level. Right, by calling him smug and pompous, which he is. Which but. he is, but we'll get past it. But the point is that I think Brock Purdy is a very good quarterback. Yeah, I just don't think he's right. the world's greatest arm talent. I don't think he's. I don't think he's Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's Patrick Mahomes. That's not a knock on him for saying that. It's just the truth. I don't think he's the MVP of the season this year. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's crazy to say that he's closer to the Jared Goffs of the world and the Kirk Cousins than he is the Josh Allens and the Lamar Jacksons. I don't think that's crazy to say. Well, I think we're a little early on that. I think we're a little yes, early correct. on like that. If I mean, he's see, only, if he's only made 24, 25 starts total in his career, so a little early on that. 100%. But let me ask you, I'll, I'll do the same thing. I'll make, it, I'll make this easier. Would you rather have Dak Prescott or Brock Purdy? I'd rather have Brock Purdy. I would too. So, like, yeah. like if Kirk Cousins or Brock Purdy? I'd rather have Brock Purdy. 
Although it's, it's asked a legitimate question here in the chat before we go, and it's a great question, or a great point made by Jordan. Jordan said, if I move any of those other quarterbacks to a bad team, I think they're still a threat. If you move Purdy to a bad team, not as much as a threat. Just, That's just, his ask, take. just ask the question, would the 49ers be better with this quarterback than they are with Brock Purdy? Like, like, like we've done. Patrick Mahomes, yes. Uh, Lamar Jackson, yes. Josh Allen, yes. Joe Burrow, yes. You get two guys like Justin Herbert. I think that's a yes. Like, if you just, just ask the question in your head, if this guy was the quarterback of the 49ers, would that team be better? Well, I could say the same thing. If you plug and play uh, any quarterback and put them on the Ravens this year, are they going to be a better team than what Lamar was? I there's, there's like I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot them. of quarterbacks there's that like would make that team better. There's like two quarterbacks that if you plug plug onto the Ravens, they're better than Lamar Jackson. There's two quarterbacks that are better than Lamar Jackson. All right, one definitely, and that's Patrick Mahomes. That's you it. can ha- you can have the arguments about the Josh Allen's. You can you can maybe slide in an argument for some other guys, but I think those are failing arguments. Okay. All right, uh, we, uh, we're out of time, and uh, we have Box Lunch coming up, correct? That's right. Your data host, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Okay, Any, anything for a tease you want to throw out yeah, there? Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll tease some stuff for you. We're, we will be talking, one, about UC basketball. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. Number two, I'll be talking about the Stephen Shapiro rap, or the Ben Shapiro rap. Ben I'm Shapiro sorry. rap. Uh, ben Shapiro number one raps. on the charts. That, number rap. one on the charts. Who do you do it with? What's the dude's name? Oh, I have no clue. I, that guy was that guy. I, I, respectfully, I that guy looked like a bum. So, so we're, we are going to listen to it on Box Lunch, and we're going to discuss it. That and more. How about that? I've. It's surprising, based off of the circles of people I follow on social media, that I didn't see a Ben Shapiro rap. Yeah, I would say that so. That seems like that would be on my for you page. We're also Tom. We are also going to rank Super Bowl commercials. I've I've compiled a list and I've sent them to Casey. I have a ton of Super Bowl commercial videos that we will be playing and we will rank the best of all time. Really? Oh yes. Wow. Okay. That's big time. That's big time. That's big time. All right. So it's time. Everybody have a great day. Thanks for everything. Great job, all. Enjoyed it. God bless. Uh, amen. And uh, here we go. Box lunch begins right now.